afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the producer's chair, as always, is Kyle Dotson. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, Kyle, we got a great guest tonight. We do. Guy, he's not only... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, well, here's how I know he's great already, is he's, uh, he's personable. He's, uh, he's, he was early. Yes. Uh, when I offered him two beverages, he said, how about a coffee? Because he saw the coffee uh, machine, so he felt uh, comfortable in asking that, and I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. Yeah. And uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this guy, I'm a fan of this guy. I'm going to tell you why in a couple minutes, but he is, uh, he's worked with Hart, Cheap Trick, Cher, Joe Cocker, Mr. Big, Poison, Rat, Eddie Money. But this is, uh, this is producer uh, Richie Zito. Richie. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking me to be here. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt a lot. That's okay. Especially on coffee. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but you said something about comedy. Did you say comedy? This is a com- I'm a comedian. Oh, okay. <laughs> a, a lot of, a lot okay. of people. All right. It's okay. I mean, I'm yeah. It's all people good. who listen will disagree. Uh, well, yeah. But, uh, but no, I'm a. I'm oh, okay. No, I just, my background is stand up comedy and, and, and stuff like that. So, so it's a it's a comedy. But, but it's we love music. Right. I just wanted so. to know. You know, I didn't. That caught me a little off uh, off guard because when because I brought you in under, in here under false pretenses. Not exactly false. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't say. So there going to be a lot of strippers. Uh, that's, not. Zito, that's Italian, right? It is. Uh, are you from uh, California originally? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. How did I know that you would probably be from New York? I don't know. No matter how long I stay here, how long I've been here, it's still it's something you carry with. How long have you been in California? I came in 1973. Wow. What brought you out here? Um, weather. Yeah, well. New York wasn't really happening musically, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. It, it was... It wasn't yet disco. It wasn't yet punk. It wasn't right. anything really going on. There was a lot going on here. Cool. A lot, a lot of the singer songwriters. A lot of the uh, a lot of the British rock stars came. You know, Rod Stewart was here. Elton John came right. here. Alice Cooper, though mm-hmm. he's not British, but you know, it, it was like the place to be artistically and musically. And because before you be, you were a producer, you were you were in bands. I was a tap dancing <laughs> monkey. Um, well, that could be true, but uh, you you. Uh, you're a guitarist. Well, yeah, it's interesting because when you read my credits, which thanks so much, is, mm-hmm. it makes me it warms the cockles in well, my it's, heart. It's pretty amazing. It you you got a pretty, you have a pretty amazing discography well, that your name is attached to. Well, it's interesting because you know records take months to produce. Yeah, um, and I was a guitar player, did a bunch of sessions, mm-hmm. did a little bit of touring, and so you can you know you can sort of have more of a resume mm-hmm. in a shorter period of time. Yeah. Because as a guitar player, I was in Elton John's band and did a couple mm-hmm. albums with him. You did The Fox. You did, did Jump Up. And then uh, 21 and 33. And the one, yeah, that yeah, was prior. before The Fox, yes. And that had Little Genie on it. Exactly. Um, and now, when you, did you play on the entire albums, yes. those three? Yeah, I think that The Fox and Jump Up, they were done in the same period of time. Yeah. And then we added more later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, now, what's funny about those albums is I, um, I personally, I love... I love the Elton John period from 21 at 33 up through like uh, Breaking Heart. I, I love that early 80s period of Elton John. And I, I don't think it gets uh, the respect that, I mean, everyone's always like, oh, the 70s stuff. But I really love that stuff. Like his second 
kind of his second happening, I thought was amazing. I mean, one of my closest friends feels the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he caught me off guard a little bit. Like, oh, really? <laughs> because, you know, it's the earlier stuff was so mind-boggling. Well, yeah, it's amazing. And- but uh, but Jump Up is such a fun album. I mean, I mean and it's got Blue Eyes. Yes. And it's got uh, Empty Garden. Yes. You played guitar on Empty Garden. I did, yes. Of that, which I'm very proud. That's an, can we, Kyle, let's hear a little bit of Empty Garden. This is a song that... Uh, Elton and Bernie wrote uh, for John Lennon. I found an empty garden among the flagstones there. He must have been a gardener that cared a lot, weeded out the tears and grew a good crop. Now it all looks strange. Such a great lyric. It's, it's unbelievable. How can so much I don't even think we're going to get to the guitar part, but uh, it's, it's just an amazing song. Yeah, it's um, a good story about that, or it's not so good, but it's mm-hmm. uh, true. We were uh, on the way to Australia mm-hmm. uh, whenever John passed. And we, when the plane landed, Elton's manager came onto the plane and whispered in Elton's ear. And what he told him was John had been killed, oh, um, you know, in, during our flight. Yeah. And, you know, it was brutal. They were close friends. He was godfather to, um, to Sean. Yeah. And so it was brutal. And um, this was a result of, of, you know, their love relationship and Bernie's lyric and Elton's melody. And, and Bernie and Elton weren't working together, like, exclusively at that point. They weren't doing full albums together. Well, there was a minute... Um, no, there was, and what's his name? Gary Osborne. Gary Osborne. Yeah, yeah he wrote Little Genie. Yeah, and, and then Bernie started doing some work with uh, Martin Page. Yep. like we built a city and whatever. Yep. Um, you know, so that, I mean, these these guys are they? Do, you know, they deserve a little bit of experimentation because yeah. they spent forty five, fifty and, years. And together. now they're still working together. Oh yeah, I went to see them about because you know, obviously, another guy's in the band. Nigel's yeah. in the band. I know Davey pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah. my good friend Kim Bullard joined about. I think it's five years already. He, uh, Kim Bullard is he is he keyboard player? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he's the current keyboard player and has been for the last five years. Oh, nice. So yeah, so it was great. I, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world. So when you worked for Elton, was uh, what, what was he like as a as a as a boss? He was your boss. Yeah. Elton John was you worked for Elton John? Can I get your coffee, Mr. John? Um, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't really like that. It was. Uh, Making music together. I mean, it was clear who the you know yes. the leader of the band was. But but no, it wasn't like that at all. It was it, it was, was a cla- it was collaborative atmosphere. Well, I mean, the records existed, the parts existed, yeah, um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so playing live, there was certainly more than guidelines. Right. And in the studio, everybody was up to their own, uh, you know, calamity in terms of making the project be what the project was. So he always operated like it was mm-hmm. a band. If uh, if if you and I, if we stopped this podcast right now and didn't talk about anything else. That is an, that's amazing, again, that I'm sitting across from someone that toured with Elton John and played guitar on Empty Garden. So, so, crazy. We're, so we're done, right? So no, saying? no, you got to stick around a little bit longer. <laughs> we got more stuff. Oh, I got fun. Uh, I got fun. Like, again, I'm not going to wait for questions, right? Well, uh, yeah, you, you can, but you can jump. You can, you can jump. jump all out. Yeah, yeah, you keep, can I have one coffee? Do you have any uh, you get another, well, no, coffee? No, yeah, no, get a, want me to go get you a triple espresso? No, I'm already sweating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, again, because... You know, fewer people know who I am as a guitar player. Yeah. Um, but there was some great stuff I did as a guitar player. Tell there. us some more stuff that I might not um, even know about. Playing with Chuck Berry was fun. We did a... Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, a live show at the um, Roxy, mm-hmm. right, I think. And it was at the very beginning of the home video market. Yeah. 
And so I got to play with, you know, with him, and, but not only play with him, but have it sort of be there. Yeah. And it's not going anywhere. And with YouTube, it's really available. Yes, it is. So that was... So I could see, if I go on YouTube, I'm going to be able to see you in that show? Yes. We, how much different will you look? What, that's, what my, that's my session body. <laughs> that's the 70s you know, session body. Is the hair long? Is the hair going to be long at that oh, point? Oh, yeah, it was always long until uh, yeah, it was always long. Were your parents supportive of this uh, career choice for you? Not at all. No, they were for old school. They thought that that you know one day I'd be on the. Mm-hmm. Uh, no offense to bar mitzvahs, they thought that's what I'd be doing for a living. The, the bar mitzvah, and they didn't really want that to be. Um, so when, when did they embrace it? When you when you were touring with Elton John, were they were they on board with it by then? Never. Or, they were never on board with it. Never. <laughs> Even with all the success, isn't that funny? That's how I think parents just, that's how parents are. Well, like, don't forget, I've proved them a little bit wrong, so they don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that either. <laughs> but that's all good, too. Um, do, you have, do you have siblings? I have one of each, a brother and a sister. And what do they do? Something uh, respectable, I hope. My sister's an attorney. Well, there you go. And, uh, they're behind, they're fine with that. Yeah, and my brother's in the uh, fruit, you know, produce business. Sure. Um, no, nobody really had that you know, desire. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I also came up at the right time yeah. or the correct time if you had the uh, – like I wouldn't want to be a guitar player today at 13 trying yeah. to see where I belong. Music would be tough to get into today. Well, as a guitar player, um, yeah. there isn't much guitar anymore, but that's okay. How um, do you rate yourself as a guitar player? Uh, lucky. Oh, my God. And fortunate. <laughs> and you know, so I'm, like I played on Danger Zone, you know the Top Gun thing. Yeah, of course we know that. And that's something I'm very proud of. Are you that ready right to begin that 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 whole guitar lick is you? All the guitars, me. Yeah, <laughs> I even programmed the drums. I think on that, if I recall. Uh, I've met Kenny Loggins before. He, that guy is super nice. He's super talented. Yeah, got a great voice. That was a great thing. I worked with Giorgio Moroder, mm-hmm. who's now getting a third career with yeah. uh, Daft Punk. Yep, and he was a mentor to, mentor to me mm-hmm. as a record producer. Okay, because like you know when you when you're on stage with Elton John, it's not like saying, "Oh wow, I'm going to practice real hard and I'm going to be Elton." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, <laughs> but with Giorgio, I learned so much about mm-hmm. you know record production. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Having been a guitar player, I got to work with you know some amazing. Because it wasn't like I started as a guitar player producer. Yeah. I had a whole career as a guitar player. So I got to work in the studio. Mm-hmm. Like I was 15 when our band was signed to Atlantic Records. And you know, we weren't successful, but it was like going to Harvard. Yeah. You know, first voice I ever heard on a talkback was Tom Dowd. So you know what That's I mean? That's crazy. So I got to work with a lot of producers and learned so much, like Chris Thomas and Gus Dudgeon and well, a lot of good ones. Um, now, if you don't, Tom Dowd, he's worked with Rod Story. He worked with Eddie Money. Uh, Gus Dudgeon, is that, am I saying that right? He's Elton John. Yeah, he passed. Chris really, Thomas, The Pretenders, Pete I Townsend. A, I learned a lot from Chris Thomas. A lot, a lot, a lot. He's he's one of the producers I look for. When well, I, he did some of the greatest records in history. Yeah, crazy. Um, um, let me ask you: when you when you do a session like uh, like for uh, Danger Zone, right? Now the Top Gun soundtrack that sounds uh, that sells a gazillion copies. Do you just get a session fee? Do you have Do you have any residuals on that? Uh, that's personal. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, there's all kinds of ways to... I mean, I did wind up co-producing one of the tracks on the Top Gun record. Okay, so, so that was, helps. Yeah, they kind of right. say it me, which was, I'm very happy about. And it. which track was that? I don't even remember the name of it. I've got to tell you the truth. Because, um, you know, I played on Take My Breath Away and I played on Danger Zone. Yeah. It doesn't, you know... Those are two of the, they're the, they're, two of the they're, biggest tracks on the album. You know, and Danger Zone... You know, one of the few things I like about Danger Zone is, you know, I, I was always the kind of guitar player... I always played very invisibly, mm-hmm. um, you know, very small but parts that I thought, you know, were appropriate to the it song. Would, yeah. That was the most showy, I think, you know, the most uh, standout. It's Danger Zone. It's Danger Zone. So, um, so that, the great thing about working with Georgia mm-hmm. at that period in time is that most of the soundtrack albums, 
I mean, back then the scores were synths mm-hmm. and guitars and small bands. And, you know, now it's back to being orchestral. Yeah. Um, and soundtrack albums sold quite well. Yes, they did. And they were a much smaller investment than the movies. And they mm-hmm. didn't gross that much different if they were successful. Yeah. I mean, look, Foot, Footloose. All those. Uh, Top Gun. Also did, all that kind of stuff. We did, just uh, gigantic. We did Flashdance 2 prior to that. So, you know, it was t- yeah, it was crazy time. Yeah. So the great thing about that was with Giorgio, we worked with, you make one record, you're working mm-hmm. with 12 different artists. Okay. Which is not easy to do. Yeah. You know, within the course of a month or two months. And then sometimes, you know, people would try, you know, come in and try it and then maybe contractually it didn't work out or for whatever reason they yeah. didn't wind up doing it. So sometimes you got to work with 20 artists in, within 12 songs. So and that's a wonderful opportunity to like sort of cut your teeth on different genres. And, net, and it's a good networking opportunity. I never looked at it that way. You know, I looked at it like, wow, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I, I, you know. Well, let me ask you, how do you go, how does Richie Zito, uh, session guitarist, touring guitarist, how do you then get someone to want you to produce their record? Uh, usually I'll put a gun to there. No, it's, it's interesting because that's the reason I left Elton John's band, which was the craziest, dumbest, sickest thing I thought at the time. Because he would have just, you would have just, Still been you, there. you could have stayed there as long as well, he wanted you to. Well, I hope so. But the next, what was the, the next touring band, he wanted to have me and Davey, mm-hmm. which would have been, but oh. I knew Davey. I did sessions with, excuse me a second. <clears throat> as I said, I'm kicking a cough. Yeah. Um, I did sessions with Davey, so mm-hmm. I knew him quite well. I was a big fan of his as well, a good friend. And he, yeah, he's been with Elton for so long. 40 years. Yeah. And Nigel, 45 years. That's crazy. Sick. Um, so how do I do it? I, 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 you know, I, um, I always wanted to make records. Yeah. Always. I always wanted to be part of something that didn't go away. Mm-hmm. You, know, if, you know, doing a show, I mean, if you're the artist that writes all the songs or part of a band, yeah. there's a different connection to the uh, audience and the music Absolutely. playing live. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, not that, believe me, if you're going to play with anybody, <laughs> I haven't played with anybody since. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, but I wanted to, because I was raised, like the Journey record, uh, Raised on Radio, I, I was raised in my whole life revolved around music and yeah. records. Because in my you know, generation, there was no iPods, no anything. Right. So, you know, the records that came on the radio when I first heard, I was signed to Atlantic, like I said, mm-hmm. and I, um, I was hanging out there all the time because we were kids. Yeah. And it was like going to Harvard, but Harvard is still there. Um, that's not. And so they would give us all kinds of shit. They gave me a test pressing because back then, I guess with most things, you do like a test to yeah. see that everything's not, you know, working okay mm-hmm. and, and not, you know, and there's no def- defects in the process. Yeah. And they say, here, take it home. It's the New Yardbirds. And it was the first Led Zeppelin record. So, <laughs> God, <laughs> it was that's like, crazy. Check this out. Um, so basically what I'm saying is uh, I always wanted to make records. So I, I just wound up, I always wanted to be in the studio because mm-hmm. that was my thing. And then, you know, sooner or later somebody trusts you. Certainly going through the Georgia Marauder camp and having done, you know, being part of Flashdance and Top Gun and Scarface and Beverly, I can play guitar on... Um, the Heat is On on Beverly Hills Cop. Amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me, dude. So that's the, the, so many iconic songs you've named. Yeah, so there was, a, there was a lot of time there where people, you know, it's almost like if you bumped up against Georgia, they'd give you a shot, you know. That's great. And, and they gave me a shot sometimes. And then, so, and I, I could have this wrong. The first full-length album that you produced, now, I, I, I thought it was the Motel Shock, but... I think it may not be. I think what mm-hmm. happened was Tony Basil had done a record... Uh, and had a big hit with um, Hey Mickey, You're So Fine, You're So Fine. You, you did her, and you did her second I album. Did the second record. I, I didn't start the project. Uh-huh. I, um, but I took over really early on. You know, one or two songs. Yeah. And I did that, and that predated Martha and the Motels. And then I did the Shock record. That after that, I did Eddie Money right away. 
Let's listen to, let's hear, uh, what do I have queued up from the Shock album, Kyle? You have Shame and State of the Heart. Let's hear, let's hear a little bit of... I think I co-wrote State of the Heart. You did. So let's hear that one first. Hint, hint. <laughs> Tune. I haven't heard that in a while. I bet. I, I mean, because I mean, I mean, I have, but I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, you probably don't pull these albums out and listen to them that much. Never. <laughs> I listen. I listen to the radio all the time. Martha has such a great voice. Oh, I love her. I love her. Love her. Love her. How was um? How was she to work with? How was it? What was it like in the studio with? Uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we're friends. I still. I saw the new motels. Mm-hmm. You know, the current. Inc- yeah, yeah. Incarnation. I mean, that happens all the time. The singers. Year, the singers loaded up uh, with a. They go out and they bring a bunch of young guns with them and then they call it they keep the name yeah. because that's what sells well certainly in that case you wrote all the songs and you had the voice and, yeah. the, and the look and the, you know yep. how was it it was great we became friends we did a couple of records together after that yeah, you did her solo, one of her solo albums that started as a Motels record but then quickly um, and shortly thereafter it stopped the Motel stopped. Record. Yes, and so it became Martha's solo record. So mm-hmm. you make two records with somebody. It's pretty great. You know, you spend time. You yeah. spend a couple of years together. So we became really close friends. And Love the it. next thing is, is was a very, very, very successful collaboration with uh, Mr. Eddie Money. Yes. And this is, uh, the album was called Can't Hold Back. Mm-hmm. And um, he had had, uh, No Control was produced by Tom Dowd, and that was, that was a monster. And then the follow-up, was uh, Where's the Party? And that was also produced by Tom Dowd. But for some reason... Didn't Nevison produce a couple of those? Uh, Nevison produced the third album. But I forget what the... Get What You Play For... Not Get What You Play For. But he produced the third. But Dowd produced uh, four and five. And so uh, uh, Where's the Party didn't, didn't do great. And so... It, did, it didn't. I never heard it. I never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I was working in a record store when Can't Hold Back came in. Which one? And uh, it was uh, National Record Mart. It was in Pennsylvania. And, um, and we only got two copies in. It just came out. We got two copies because at that point, I think it was like, well, yeah, okay, any money. But then play this, uh, play this song, this song with Ronnie Spector on it, Take Me Home Tonight. So, um, you don't know that you're going to get Ronnie Spector when, when no, you have this song. No, and I'm going to take the credit for working really hard to make sure that happens. <laughs> we were, uh, now, if I talk to Eddie, is he going to take the credit for it? Yeah, he should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we really are friends. I love that guy. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I just bought this album again. Um, a, company, a record company in the UK called uh, Rock Candy Records 
just re-released the first uh, the first five or six albums. I just I just bought this thing all over again. Right on. Because uh, I'll be looking for that royalty. Yeah, you should get a royalty <laughs> check on that. I'll take it here. Uh, uh, maybe I'll just give you a couple bucks before you leave. Couple. But uh, this <laughs> this album Big was spender. this was a monster. This was like this was like this the the second or third coming of Eddie Money, and um, I played this album like I wore this thing out, and I remember. I seeing your name on the back of the cover, Richie Zito. And I'm like, I had never heard that name before. I never saw that name before. And I just felt, oh, this is the guy. This must be the guy that helped get this album as big as it, as it is. And um, I worked hard on that record. And it, 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 that must have been so satisfying for you. It was great, yeah. I mean, because yeah. Um, it was the first uh, platinum record I ever had. Mm-hmm. The first back then singles and Billboard. Yeah, I guess it's and MTV sort of is all over MTV, right? And it was uh, the first top five single we had. It was the first platinum record. Yeah. Uh, working with Ronnie Spector's fucking icon. Yeah. <laughs> so how did so so was that line written into the song? Yeah. And then and then someone said, I'm going to say you did, hey, what if we got Ronnie to come in and, and sing on this? No, that's not exactly how it worked. Um, <laughs> and, you know, back then you didn't have machines where you could make music, you know, with the push of the button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, Kanye, you would have had to make a living somehow, <laughs> some other way back then. Well, he would have been at a cash register. He's still at a cash register. <laughs> well, uh, uh, he's so, at an ATM. So we did demos up in, in the Bay Area. That's where okay. he's from. And we had bands. We had band members, and we had whoever musicians around. Yeah. And we cut the song. You know, Eddie and I started our relationship, you know, butting heads over which songs. To, you know, whatever. Who yeah. cares? Um, it's like who cares how it happens and it's, it's how it yeah. turns out, and the creative process is painful. So is childbirth, I guess. So, but you know what I mean. The upside is fantastic. So, we were in the studio cutting the song. And he sang it, and he said, "I'm not going to sing that." Can I say fuck? Yeah, you say whatever you so want. So I'm not going to sing that fucking part, you know, be my little baby. They're just like Ronnie <laughs> saying, fuck you, you know? <laughs> so there was a gr- Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was a girl hanging around the studio, and she sang it. She was a singer. Okay. And she sang Ronnie's part. And at that point, it became very clear. If the song was going to have, just like Ronnie sang, yeah. and it was going to be a female, it, it had to be Ronnie Spector. Yeah. And there was, you know, it took a little while. The negotiations got clogged. Mm-hmm. And it looked like it, not like it wasn't going to happen, but like it was going to take some ingenuity. Yeah. Ingenuity, I guess. I went to school in Brooklyn. Um, don't laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kidding, sorry. Richie's bringing the comedy tonight. I'm bringing nothing. You no said comedy, comedy buddy yeah, boy. <laughs> here it is. Um, anyway, so I said to Ed, finally I said to Eddie, I said, Eddie, I don't care how we, you got to just make this fucking happen. Yeah. So he made it happen. Well, his manager was Bill Graham. Did Bill, you think yes. Bill would help on, on that a little bit? Um, Bill wasn't involved in the day-to-day by the time mm-hmm. I was doing it. Okay. You know, but he had a great crew. You know, great, yeah. Like most management companies, mm-hmm. they have a couple of day-to-day guys. Um, but I don't think they saw it. You know, managers are you know, business. Yeah. You know, not all, but a lot of them are business first. Yeah. Their job is to make as much money for their artists and help mm-hmm. them you know, guide their career. Yeah, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Um, so not so much creative. Well, not so much that they... It's not that they weren't creative. I don't know if they saw, saw. That's really Brooklyn. Yeah, don't laugh. Um, that you know, I don't know if they saw it the same way we did. Yeah, because we knew, you know, and we're from that era, mm-hmm. um, almost a little too young, but never too young to learn from Phil Spector. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when Ronnie Spector comes in to the studio, how yeah. how long do you have her for? Our, she came. She flew in from New York. Mm-hmm. Sent a car for her, some flowers, and she gave us whatever we needed. And uh, probably happy to do, and uh, with the re- happy, probably amazed with the results too. Yeah, we're. Ha- I mean, yeah, we became friends too. But yeah. it's like you don't get icons all the time. Mm-mm. You know, I've been lucky more than most. Yeah. Um, 
Got to work with Pete. I got to work with everybody I ever wanted to work with, except for like Led Zeppelin. Were you just gonna say Pete Townsend? Yeah, I worked with Pete Townsend. What'd you work with Pete Townsend? Oh, one of Elton's records. He came and played guitar. Oh yeah, he plays guitar on Ball and Chain. Yeah, on uh, Jump Up. Yeah, and then I played guitar on Tina Turner had a comeback record. Yeah, Private Dancer. That was a, that was. A, I think that was a successful album. I think I heard of that before. Didn't do bad. No, um, I think it was okay. And I played on a track with uh, the same track with Jeff Beck. Now, wow. That was pretty sensational. Now, when you play, when you're playing on a, on a track with uh, with Pete Townsend and a Jeff Beck, are you um, are you ner- are you nervous playing well, with? We, I mean, they're your peers, but there's. You well, know. I mean, with 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 Jeff Beck, I played the rhythm guitar. Okay, me, and he actually had already done a solo. Okay, with Pete, we're in the studio together. Yeah, it, nervous is. I, I guess it's. I guess if you if you if you're like intellectualizing mm-hmm. it, you'll, you're nervous. Okay, if you're doing your job. Which is what you're doing, yeah. And you, you know, you're sharing music with another musician. Yeah, it transcends that fear, yeah. fear thing. Um, for me, it did. You know what I mean? I guess I'm 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 looking at it as a as not a, as a musician. I'm a fan, so I'm, I I would be like, oh my god, here comes Pete Townsend. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, Roger Daltrey cut one of my songs. Wow. And, you know, you're in the studio one day and you look over and there's a drummer there and. That snare drum looks kind of familiar. Oh, it's Ringo Starr. Yeah. You know, you get those kind of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I produced the Neville Brothers, and Keith Richard played on one of the tracks. and So, you know, you get that opportunity. Just, you, just mindless. Now you seem like a guy that should write a book. Okay. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> what do you mean they don't care? Anyone who has stories they to tell. About, they want to hear about the parties. <laughs> well, you put that in there, too. No, I didn't live that. Um, I'm chewing on my cough drop there. You didn't live uh, like a rock star. You didn't live like well. There was a moment when uh-huh. I, you know I was in Elton's band. We were rock stars. I was a okay. rock star, and you know, sort of by by proxy. Yeah, meaning you know, by association. Did you um, ever? Did you ever have to get any uh, any guys in gear in the studio that were maybe not ready to perform? Well, not, they're not coming in and they're not doing their best. It's hard to say. I think I really believe that most people are doing their best at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, even if they're uh, under the influence. Uh, well, yeah. Um, it's interesting about drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. It's, forget about who I worked with or didn't work with. Richie, I'm high right now. Yeah, me too. Okay, cool. Since, uh, from the 60s. <laughs> Same acid. Um, so, so, no, it, it's like it, the inhibitions mm-hmm. that sometimes artists experience when they're about to create. Yeah. Um, they tend to think that they need the drugs and alcohol to like reach that place and touch your talent. It's not true. Um, they're more than capable of getting there without any help. In fact, when they perform, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're better when you're not high. Yeah. You, just, well, you may think you're better. Right. But, but if you're that good, mm-hmm. you know, you're good. Um, but, um, yeah, but drugs in the studio, I would think when you're trying to make something that's going to, you know, live forever, I, you would think that you would want to come in as clear-headed as possible. Oh, yeah. Well, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, wow, I made a record just, you know, without, I went through all the drugs and alcohol. It's not really the way it was. Yeah. It was pretty serious. I was, first of all, me, I was always fucking serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never had the, you know, I never had the problem of working with someone where the alcohol and drugs got in the way. Well, that's good. Really got in the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, it, it is. I'm not trying to get dirt from you. I, I'm, I'm seriously asking a, a, a question as uh, as how a producer would would deal with that uh, with his artist. Well, you know, it's uh, you, know, I, you know, like my job isn't really, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. to sort of hold your hand and tell you what you should do and shouldn't do. It's, yeah, it's to make you feel whatever you need to feel to get, you yeah. know, to get out what what you want to really get yeah. out of you. Um, and like I said, I've never really been with anybody in the studio mm-hmm. that 
you know that they were sort of slurring and yeah. you know, falling all over the place. So this makes me this makes me want to ask you. That and if it was, I, would, I wouldn't tell the truth anyway. <laughs> That's for, save that <laughs> save that for the book. No, no books. The um, uh, tell us exactly what does a producer do? I think everyone has an idea of what the producer does, but what seriously, like on a on a on a day in the studio, what exactly? Is Richie Zito doing? Well, you know, interestingly enough, it's always been an ambiguous term. Mm-hmm. I mean, start there. Because there's a million different ways to do right. it. Bands tend to have, like, you know, engineers yeah. turn producers because, you know, they're, they have their own little society. Mm-hmm. And they just need someone, not just someone. They want someone to make it feel uh, sound great, right. be an objective ear. Um, then they have people that create all the music, like a Giorgio. Yeah. And most of the times they work with really great singers. So it's always been ambiguous. Now, uh, you know, it's... I don't know what the fuck it is now. But um, what was it when you when you were doing it? What what did what, what did Richie Zito bring to the to the table? Well, I always looked at it like, you know, sort of like my job was mm-hmm. to help people realize their vision. Okay, plain and simple. That's what I was there for, and, and keeping an eye on the budget mm-hmm. and trying to help them do that. You know, sometimes it was difficult because it's like whenever I, I'm a musician. Yeah. So I didn't have to say I wanted to hear it more blue. You know, I was always able to say, no, I think it should be a D chord, and here's why. That's good, yeah, because, you know, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine someone saying, uh, I want it to feel warmer. Yeah, well, they do. I worked with a lot of music, uh, producers like that when I played guitar. <laughs> and um, then then how do you how do you take that and, and turn it, you just give them whatever you think warmer is, I guess? Well, no, I don't know. You ignore it. You ignore it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, what are you going to do? You ignore it, you do what you do, and then they take credit for it. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> I mean, you know, they call you back or you get your name on something fun. But, you know, again, back to being a record maker, right. it, it's, that's my job, you know, and, and, you know and, and be mindful of what it mm-hmm. costs, be mindful of... It's interesting because artists, you know, most times start to be... They're, they're, they're subjective. Yeah. And our job is to be more objective. And so it's like you almost know where they want to go and they mm-hmm. know where they want to go. They're not necessarily sure how to get there. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know for a, no matter how successful an artist is, chances are they're only making one record a year. Yeah. Um, and producers will make five records a year and then maybe some, you know, tracks here and there. That's right. So, so you know what I mean? You get more, you get more hours, mm-hmm. like more flight hours, more flying hours. <laughs> so you tend to like, well, I'm going to suggest this because I know this will work. Yeah. As opposed to, well, what if, or if you suggest something, you know, that's not going to work. Why? Because um, because you have the experience and yeah. you know you really do see the finished product. Not that all artists right. are, are less objective. You know, whatever. Not everything is exact each time. But again, today, it's a whole different universe. I know. I don't, I don't even get it today. Well, it's just, it's just, it's a different jungle that they're taking you, you know, through with their little light bulb. Um, mm. You know, it's different. It's just different. Guys who are producers, they make beats. And beats, what they make is what I made. <laughs> and they make it 30 years later. Let's, uh, the next album I want to talk about is uh, this band is my favorite band of all time. It's my number one band. It's Cheap Trick. I got a figure. And um, I remember when uh, I remember when Lap of Luxury came out. I had seen the the video for the Flame came on MTV, and the, one of the first shots of the video is Robin and Tom walk out. And I did not. It, we didn't have internet back then or anything, so I didn't know Tom was back. Yeah. So that was like my. Fr- I'm like, oh my god, Tom's back. And then this song. You give Cheap Trick their first number one song with this uh, with the flame. Let's hear a little bit of the flame. Go. 
so I remember when I uh, when I picked up Lapa Luxury and I turned it over and I, I saw the name Richie Zito and I was like, this is the guy who did Can't Hold Back album. And so I was excited. I was like, this, oh, this is going to be amazing. And and it was you brought Cheap Trick back to the masses. So I thank you for that because it was a eighties was a rough a rough time for Cheap Trick, especially the the two albums that preceded Lap of Luxury. And what I wanted to ask you was was about the Flame. Uh, I read that uh, that Rick did not like the song. Yeah, he did not like it because he because he felt the guitar part at the beginning sounded just like. The song Nature's Way. Right, which I'd never heard, even though Mark Andes is a friend of mine. Yeah. Right, and he was in spirit. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't hear it. I, I never heard it before. Yeah. So um, the, the thing about... Because with this album, with this, in case people don't know, Lap of Luxury, I think that was pretty much the record company said, okay, this is, this is probably the last ride for Cheap Trick. Well, it wasn't quite like that. Don, it wasn't? No, Don Grierson, who was the head, became the head of a and okay. Epic... Um, after having a lot of success with Heart and mm-hmm. other things at yeah, Capitol. Yeah. And he just said, you know, when he joined, you know, the company, mm-hmm. he looked among, you know, at the roster, you know, at the roster and said, whoa, this is one of the bands that's been completely overlooked lately. Because, yeah. you know, when someone, it was like, I imagine it was like the same thing as Bonnie Raitt at Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. cool. She makes cool records. No one's ever going to take her to a place. And then she jumps labels and yeah. somebody goes, bang. Boom. Um, so anyway, that said, that was the intention. So yeah. it was never... It was never sort of like a fluke, you know. We no, no, hard. I didn't think it was no, a fluke. No, I don't mean that. I, I just mean that meant because um, I know that they used outside writers on the, yes, all over that album. Everybody did back then, but this was the first time that Cheap Trick really did in their whole career. Well, a lot of artists in the '80s was their first time, and they and yeah. they, they resisted. Yes, they, yes, I'm sure. Oh God, um, I'll tell you the story. It's great. I think mm-hmm. um, I, I played it. I played songs for Rick and, and the guys all the time. Yeah. You know, Robin was the easiest because you know Rick wrote a lot of the songs. Yeah. So Robin was always a you know sort of interpreting yeah. somebody else's song. Right. Fr- frankly, I mean he wrote a little, whatever. It had. I wasn't there. Yeah. Um, now Rick's the it was the main songwriter the main for song a long, writer, long time. Right. And I had, I had been asked to do the record, and the, mm-hmm. the label was smart enough, and everybody was smart enough to make whatever inroads they needed to to get Tom Peterson back in the band. In fact, we went to go see the band Rockford play mm-hmm. with their you know last bass player before. Tom. Yeah, John Brandt. Was that who it was? Yeah. Yeah, he's a good, good he's a good guy, but I mean Tom. Right. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. So already I was interested, right? And, yeah. And excited about doing it. So so anyway, so you know Rick, everybody they don't like other people's songs. You know, no one does. Yeah. Um, and but everybody was doing it. I mean, from you know from Aerosmith to Hart yeah. to Trick to Eddie to, I mean, you know, at that point. John Bon Jovi, they sold how many a gazillion records yeah. with the help of uh, Desmond Child and yep. those records. So it was really and truly, you, you know what I that mean. That was the way it was for that time period. Yeah, it wasn't surrendering. It wasn't like beating someone right. to submission. Um, but when he got to that song, Rick, had, I've had enough. He went to the <laughs> back then, you know, whatever tape, whatever medium it was, yeah. you know, tape, video, you know, yeah. digital, and he grabbed it out of the th- machine and threw it against the wall and said, "I'm not going to sing Flame. I'm a flamer. I'm not a flamer." And, <laughs> His connotation and yeah. his, uh, uh, he wasn't that, I guess in Rockford, Illinois, there's not too many uh, gay uh, yeah, people. Who knows? Um, and so that's really and truly, that was yeah. his stance. Like, you've gone too far. So, how do you, how do you ease Rick into it? You don't. Um, <laughs> you go around them. Um, well, what we did, which I love, it, my favorite story about that record okay. is um, we. I said to myself, look, this is a smash record. This song is sensational. I know Robin's voice. He's sensational. So I said, but, you know, it it was tense, you know, the day we went in the studio. So Kim Bullard, you Mm -hmm. know, one of Elton's musicians who 
it had a lot to do with my records, mm-hmm. um, my records, with the records I was involved right. in and produced. And so I said, let's go in the studio. So him and I went in the studio. We cut a track. And it was like fucking nine minutes long because we didn't know where it was going. <laughs> yeah. Which made mixing down the road. I couldn't even listen to the, the song when the record was done. Um, anyway, so, you know, I said, Kim, come on, let's go in the studio. And we cut a track of, you know, uh, no drums, you know, just mm-hmm. like sort of, you know, the, the empty parts, the same guitar part, yeah. him and I. And I said, you know, let's go. I said, let's get Robin in here. And, you know, it'll live and die by him. I'm not going to go there and fight, you know, anybody right. if he doesn't sound good doing it. And then he opened his mouth, Robert, and it sounded amazing. He'd listen to one line of the song and sing it again, and the next some line and sing it. Uh, of course, down the road, he added more to it. But yeah. it was clear this was worth the fight. And then one by one, you know, the guys called their manager and said, I don't want to go in there. They're like little kids, you know, don't want to go to school. Um, which is artists, you know, it's okay. I'm yeah. all good. And then one by one, they came in whether they liked it or not. Um, and they played on the song, and that's the record. And, and number one. It was good, yeah. I mean, their hey, fir- I- it was their first number one. Yes. I mean, they hated it. I mean, Rick didn't like it because it was like, I guess he felt like it was, you know, not his child, really. Right. Um, and so, therefore, he wasn't able to enjoy the success of it, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, we all have different yeah. uh, you know, different components to our talent. Yeah. And that one didn't feature his writing talent, right. but certainly is, you know, guitar playing. Playing. Yeah. yeah. Just one more song in the, in the group, you know. And uh, look, that album put them back in playing the big rooms. Yeah, it did good for them. I'm and, happy for them. You know, platinum album, it number one single, yeah. and then and then the cover version of uh, "Don't Be Cruel," the Elvis Presley song that went to number five. I think so. You'd know better than I do. I knew. That. I do know. This. When they go to number one, I know. <laughs> but number five, you're not interested. Well, that's not true. But I didn't know about that exactly. <laughs> did um? How did that? How did how did that become a, a thing? Like I wouldn't have even thought anyone would cover "Don't Be Cruel." Yeah, well, it's interesting. It was in 1988. Yeah, uh, we talked about doing a cover. Mm-hmm. And we discussed what should we do. And there was a Billboard magazine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right? We went and got a book. I got a book that okay. had the biggest hits of, you know, since 1950-something All right. to whatever. And the number one was Don't Be Cruel. So I figured if this was the biggest hit you know, in the last 50 years, <laughs> fuck it, why not do that one? <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. And that's what we did. Was there less resistance to do Don't Be Cruel than there was to do The Flame? Well, like I said, it's you had to get Robin. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got Robin, you know... Um, yeah. You know, you had you know, the other ones go along. Yeah, grab them by the robin and hearts and minds follow. Um, but no, they, you know, it's an Elvis song. They had already had, uh, a, you know, uh, a big success with uh, "Ain't That a Shame." Yeah, that's true. And they took it from John Lennon's arrangement. It was never taken from the original. So it wasn't like you know, it's a little different taking someone else, right, right. Uh, someone other icons' um, music. So that wasn't a problem. And uh, another song on the album that um, that I that I love. Do I have Ghost Town on there? Yeah, it's a good. One. And this one, uh, this one's co-written with Rick and Diane Warren. I'm pretty sure. And this is uh, or at least maybe Robin too. Yeah. Robin's voice is just so amazing. Well, that's the thing. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous. 
Yeah, I mean, he had that combination of like Ray Orbison to like he could scream, you he know. Scream. Yeah, he yeah, is. He's like, the greatest. He can be, sing anything. I, I was lucky and I was smart. Um, and for whatever reasons, I wound up working with my favorite singers, period. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to work with, um, and I chose, if I was offered something and I loved the singer. Yeah. Because I'm a guitar player. You know, guitar players mm-hmm. are almost like almost frustrated singers, but not really. Meaning, you know, that's we don't. That's our voice. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you sing at all? Not that good. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, with between Eddie Money, who had his own sort of phrasing thing, yeah, and Robin and Ann Wilson, yeah, um, and Kenny Loggins and Joe Cocker. You know, I got to work with some of the great my my favorite, you know, singers. So, you know, to me, it's like. I always went for the singer. Let's hear a little. Uh, you produced uh, You Can Leave Your Hat On. I did. Uh, written by Randy Newman, and this is Joe Cocker's version from his album Cocker. I'm very proud of this one. You know, go forward about 20 seconds. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Even more. Sorry, Look at you, you're working tonight, Kyle. And I'll tell you what. Okay. Specific. Oh, uh, anyway, so no, I I like stories about uh-huh. things that I was involved in because yeah. it does make it real, and it's true. Um, first of all, when you're in the studio, and all of a sudden, the, you know, you press the record button, out, and out of that guy's mouth comes Joe Cocker's voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Joe Cocker. <laughs> and then what's even better was that uh, his manager was Mike Lang, who put Woodstock on. Oh, okay. Who didn't look any different, you know, than he did at Woodstock. So it was like crazy. Um, <clears throat> The song was Randy Newman's, as you said. Yes. Um, and I played with Randy prior to that. I did mm-hmm. a tour, you know, with Randy, uh, a European tour. And I just loved There's one line, you know, hold your arms up in the air, now shake them. Yeah. About a stripper. Uh-huh. Yeah, I could, it couldn't have been better. Um, but I knew there was no real kind of hook yeah. to the song. No, no disrespect, Randy. Your whole life is a hook. <laughs> no, I love her. Another great, great artist. Um, anyway, so, yeah, let's do it. So, because, you know, there's a scene in nine and a half weeks. Yes, yes. And uh, Kim Basinger was stripping, yeah. you know, good luck, you know. Yeah. And back then there was no little tiny little screen on your computer and we worked at Giorgio's place and there was a giant screen. So you got to watch her strip every day. Um, 
anyway, so um, I was on, a conver- on the phone with Adrian Lyne, who directed that movie, yes. who I'd met before, because I think he also directed Flashdance and mm-hmm. um, some other things. And we were talking, you know, how do you, you know, hear it? And he says, you know, kind of like I hear it a little bit like, you know, Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And wow. you've got to be a certain age to understand what that even is. That's a um, Joe Cocker album. But if you're still listening to the cast, you obviously aren't old enough. Yeah. Um, it, it's, so it was like, boom, got it. You know, so that was my era of listening. Those were my, you know, formative years. So you put that touch on this song. Well, yeah, we came up with that. that dun, 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 mm. You can leave your head on. So that didn't exist. So that's sort of what reminded me of, you know, like the days, you know, Leon Russell, Nicky Hopkins, whoever yeah. else was on those records. So, you know, I put my head together, and I'm really proud of that arrangement because um, I feel like I created with the help of whoever else was there. Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great. You know great what I mean? Something that wasn't there. And uh, and we always say here when someone has passed, we say rock in peace, Joe Cocker. Okay. So <laughs> also since it was Randy and I'd worked with Randy, uh-huh. it was another bonus. You know, it was another yeah, added yeah. attraction. And did, did did you ever hear? Did Randy like your? You know, I never talked to him after that. Um, but you know, you have to sort of get permission from the artist before you make that significant a change. Yeah, I never asked him. So <laughs> uh-oh, <laughs> he didn't he didn't stop us. You know. So oh yeah, I wonder. I hope he liked it. Come I, on, I'm he had sure, to have sure liked he that. Did, yeah. He had to have liked to hear Joe Cocker singing the words that he wrote. Yeah, and also watch Kim Basinger strip as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. What do we got next, Scott? Because I don't have my computer in front of me today. We have. Uh... Then you did another Eddie Money album. Then you did another Cheap Trick album. And then you did this, uh, what I like to call a super group. You did this uh, little thing called Bad English. Great, 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 great experience. How did, uh, how did this come uh, about? Bad, working with Bad English, how did those guys, do you know the story of how they even got together? I was there. Sure, I know the story. Well, let me hear it. <laughs> That's why you're here. I don't I was, know the story. I was the E in English. No. <laughs> um, are you going to play something or should I talk first? Uh, let's hear the first single was, because uh, the album, the album is, is a, quite a mix of... Uh, of rockers and, and, and I don't know people always think of just the, when I see a smile and they don't, they don't know the rockers as much, but let's hear a little bit yeah, of that first thing. Forget me not. Yeah, rocks. Yeah. I love this song. And Dean plays the drums on this, like so, such a heavy sound. He sang most of the harmonies on the record. Yeah, John. Uh, John Waite was on the show, and uh, oh, yeah? he didn't want to. He didn't want to talk about bad English too much, though. I don't. I think it ended not well. But uh, tell us about. Uh, well, I wasn't. Guys. I wasn't at the end. Just the beginning. I know you weren't there. They, they didn't. They used Ron Nevison on they the did second. The second album. one, which again I never heard. Um, it's but, good, but it's not as good as the first one. Can you say that again? No, I'm it's just kidding. good, but it's not great. <laughs> the first one's no, great. I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, that started with me and John Waite. Yeah. Again, same guy, Don Grierson, who just had taken over. Wait, let me ask you. I'm going to interrupt. Uh, was 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 John going to do a solo album? Yes and no. Okay. Um, he again, Don Grierson again, who just had taken over and sort of looked at the roster and yeah. thought, you know, 
you know, Cheap Trick was a band worth, you know, exploiting mm-hmm. again. Um, he wanted to make a record with John Waite. Yeah. Um, so their idea was to put together a band around John Waite. You okay. Know, you know, whatever guy. I don't want to use the word young because I don't know what that means really. Yeah. Really. But, you know, whatever. A new band, no other, you know, no other well-known people, I guess is a good way to say it. And, you know, John kept looking around, you know, and I don't know if he auditioned people. And I, again, I was there. F- me and John were there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do anything until, you know, the time was right. But little by little, I think... John Kane might have approached John because they were in the babies together. They were the babies together, and um, they started writing some songs. I think I'm not sure exactly about that part. Yeah, but then, um, then they uh, because of the babies, they got you know my friend uh, Rick. But anyway, so he, he got in I think third, and then they started to. Um, and it's really great because little by little by little, the, the rules change. Yeah, they're building this band and All everything's of a sudden, changing. You know, it's getting bigger and the deal's bigger and yeah. everything's bigger. And it's like, cool, this is fun. And then they approached Neil. And, and Neil was the last one to want to commit. Mm-hmm. I think he was excited about, you know, making the record. But yeah. I don't think he was really ready to commit to the project. Mm-hmm. Eventually, obviously, did. I think we might have even started recording before he was willing to say, okay, I'm, I'm a member. And then he brought, he brought Dean Castronova yeah. in. And... Um, that's how it started. And, it's know. just, uh, I mean, that that album is another monster. I mean, every single track a, on that album record. is amazing, yeah, start to finish. I like that record. And uh, and it sounds, it's such a good sounding record. It was a tough record to make for me. Not musically, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting because most bands are together before they have a success yeah obviously so they work out their little civilization yeah. and their little society so here you got like you got like you know Kane and Waite and Phillips have played together and Kane has played with Sean and then Dean has played with Neil but to get it all working well yeah because usually you know a band that as they're growing mm-hmm. you know they're you know sort of finding their you know their society you'll be the you know you're the judge you're the this yeah. you're that, and it works and they get mm-hmm. to a point these guys are like bang all at the same time and, and they were strong personalities mm. not that it was it wasn't really difficult in the way that I, you might think yeah but these guys were all strong motherfuckers yeah <laughs> and and deservedly so i mean you know neil i mean just great great, great yeah i mean coming guys. two guys out of journey they the multi-platinum success of course they're going to have a couple of opinions when they come in that room yeah but they were it wasn't like they were difficult it was just like they were you know they were very very you mm. know this is what i want to do this is why you know it wasn't it was all you know, upscale stuff. Yeah. Smart, you know, smart cookies. Neil solos all over this thing. I mean, how do you get him to stop soloing? Um, it sounds like he just goes and goes and goes and goes. Well, you know what the great thing about that record? I'm glad you brought that up because I was telling somebody this, I don't know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Um, after we started the record, Neil decided, you know, that why bother, you know, doing a rhythm guitar track and then yeah. playing a solo. So he just played solos on the track. Bang. Because yeah. it doesn't take long to add... You know what I mean? A, a little, you know, whatever, eight bars, 10 bars, 12 bars, 16 bars of a rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. So where the solo is more spontaneous that way. And almost every solo on that song, it was inspired. It was just, these guys are good. So they yeah. were playing together. And know. the songs were great. And they, and they, they, they were writing songs together and, you know, outside writers here and there. But for the most part, I think those guys wrote these songs, too. Well, I think we had some hits on that record. I think Possession was a hit Possession's song. a great song. There was another song, I think, that also did, you know, as well at Pop Radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, that's one of my favorite records. And then the Diane Warren song, When I See You Smile. That was the second record that I did that had a number one song on it. That's crazy. Let's hear a little bit of that. That felt good. Another platinum album, too. Sometimes I wonder right? yeah. I'd ever make it through. Through this world without having you I just wouldn't have a clue That's Jonathan Kane Cause 
Sometimes it seems like this world's closing in on me And there's no way of breaking free And then I see you reach for me Sometimes I wanna give up, wanna give in I wanna quit the fight This song just builds And then I see you baby Drums are crazy. When I see you smile, I can face the world. Oh, you know I can do anything. We did a we did a show here about power ballads, and this obviously was uh, this might be the, the when you say power ballad, I can't I don't think of any other song. But yeah, I mean again song. for me, the flame and this are you yeah know, head you know sort of neck and neck neck with that yeah. Now. Um, yeah, because back then it was great. I mean, to get a you know a rock band on the radio, yeah, you had to do good, it. That was a good way to get them because it was a softer approach to you know the hard right. edge stuff and sort of get on like pop radio and stuff. Um, now, when they um, when Bad English goes to do a second album, are you did, are you even contacted? Uh, oh yeah, um, you know sometimes you remember certain things certain ways, but mm-hmm. to the I'm pretty good at remembering stuff. Yeah, I had just done a heart record, right? Just finished the heart record, and Brigade. that took a long Brigade. time. Yeah, it took a long time. We had taken a couple of months off in between, mm-hmm. um, and it, so I think it went over about. It was an eight month project, yeah. and you know that's you know that can, it's hard to keep your. I'm not a movie maker. These guys, yeah. I don't know how they fucking do it for ten years. They have, mm-hmm. um, so it took about eight you know eight months to finish that record, and we finished just at Christmas, and I was tired, um, and I didn't. It was one of the few times. I didn't say yes yeah. to something because it was I didn't want to lose it, so I'm starting tonight. Uh-huh. Um, and I probably would have made the record, or you know, I think I might have made that record, although it works out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And I just couldn't I just couldn't get it up at that point. Well, that makes sense. And they'd already started rehearsing. Okay. And they were like, "We're going." And you know, Nevison's a great choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. So yeah, he made some great records. Um, and he did it, and that's all I know about. It. It's so funny. He did you. You did the first Bad English album, and he did the second. And then he did two hard albums, and then you came in with Brigade. Let's talk about Brigade since you brought up Hart uh, again. Uh, you're working with another amazing, well, two amazing vocalists. Anne is uh, Nancy's great too. Different kind of great. Um, I want to talk about this song. All I want to do is make love to you. Did did Anne did Anne want to sing that? Yeah. How did they feel? They did because yeah. now they kind they don't they kind of. I don't think they, they don't do it anymore. Yeah. They don't sing it anymore. And, um, but at the time, I loved that song. Yeah, me too. I mean, I thought it was... They didn't resist. They didn't resist at all. No. That's no. good. because We I had think, a very good collaboration. Oh, great. You know, collaboratively, we were pals. Because when I, whenever I hear someone, they, they don't want to sing that song anymore, I always think, oh, I wonder if they wanted to sing it originally. But you're telling us that, yeah, no problem. No, that song was written, it was written from a male perspective. You know, uh, we flipped it, she yeah, flipped it. Didn't Mutt Lang write that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that was easier because of that. Uh-huh. Um, and it was great for me because I like, you know, obviously as a yeah. producer, he's a producer's producer. Yeah. Um, and so I was really excited about working, you know, with one of his songs and mm-hmm. stuff. So no, they didn't resist. Not that I can recall. Yeah. She just sang the shit out of it like she did everything else. Um, now, again, this is going to sound like I'm, like I'm kissing your ass, but... Uh, which is okay. I like, I like Brigade better than the heart self-titled comeback, and I like it better than Bad Animals. Brigade, when I, when I put this thing on, I was like, you know, Cruel Nights and Stranded and... and Stranded's good. And... Do I have Do I have Wild Child? Let's hear. Let's hear. They wrote some pretty cool people in there. Yeah, they. Sammy really, Hagar. Yeah, there's some fun people involved. 
couple years ago when I saw him, they opened with Wild Child. Uh, these singers that don't stop singing, like Robin and Ann, they, I mean, I go see them now and they sound just as good as they did. They, they hit it out of the park every night. It's crazy. Not everybody gets that voice. <laughs> not everyone does, but you, you also, I would imagine, uh, that you have to use it to not lose it, too. Well, the thing is that well, the way we made that record, again, mm-hmm. we, since there's some songs you know, that weren't really, you know, in the olden days, yeah. you know, back in the Beatle days, you know, these guys would play live mm-hmm. and rehearse all their music and yeah. perform it and then go in the studio and make a record. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, as you know, Led Zeppelin, by the second album, third album, they're really writing them, mm-hmm. going in the studio and then touring behind them. Um, you know, back then, when you know, you write a song with Sammy Hagar, you don't know how it's going to sound really. Right. Um, so you bring it to the table and we did some demos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, once the I listen to if I listen to the demos now, I bet you they're just as good as this the record because um, <laughs> they were really sensational musicians on every yeah. level. So we would cut the tracks. Okay, now the tracks are done. Um, and for the next six, seven, eight, nine weeks, whatever it was, you know, me and uh, Howard Lee would go in the studio around noon, one, and uh, great guitarist. And he'd work all day. I mean, with him and me, and he'd do mm-hmm. keyboards and guitars. Yeah. And then Ann and Nancy would come in around five or six, <laughs> which is you know a great time for singers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sing. And, you know, and who obviously you know, uh, did most of the lead vocals. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you tell this girl? There's nothing wrong with any of this. You know, you see, it's like, you know, you ask. It's like, you know, making movies, I guess you say, you do another yeah. take, do another take. Mm-hmm. And you do four or five takes and you pick your favorite components yeah. and you make a vocal. It's like, what do you do with this girl? Yeah, do you, I mean, it seems like, it seems like you can never take the first take. It seems like you, you have to say, I need it. Let's hear keep, one more. Interesting, you keep it all, mm-hmm. you know, and... and you know, sometimes you get proud of yourself because you say, oh, wow, I spotted this here and this there and mm. put it together and bing, bang, boom. With her, it just came out. Yeah. And it was like, you know, if you think about a four-minute song sung five times, mm. with her, it's not a long, <laughs> you know, 40 minutes yeah. and you're out. And, yeah. and with, you know, five, you know, stunning performances. And, and she's just that good. How's it go when you're making an album? Do you, do you cut one song until it's complete before you move on to the next it, song? It depends. I, I mean, it depends. The it's so different now because, you know, back then you had to, you know, play an instrument. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, back. You didn't have to auto-tune Anne. Oh, my God. Man. You couldn't add, There's nobody you can auto-tune. It, was, right. it, it, it didn't it was exist. It's such thing. Uh, yeah, anyway. So um, sometimes, sometimes, it would, sometimes you would... Uh, did you ever work... Did, have you ever had those things where you, you work... You, you guys are working... You're working on a song and then it just... You work and work and work, and then it just isn't happening. Oh yeah, sure. That must be <clears throat> that must be where the budget goes. Yeah, and well, and then sometimes you didn't give someone, you know, give a song so much love and attention, and all of yeah. a sudden it explodes and it's like one of the best songs. Mm-hmm. So, so you're, it is a creative process. It is, you know, I always looked at it as like taking a song mm-hmm. to, in like at the lab in the laboratory. You know, you bring yeah. it in, you start mixing the chemicals, and you see if it explodes. Um, but back then, well, well, interestingly enough, 
if you were a band, it was more of a luxury. Mm-hmm. So you could cut a track and work on it. Yeah. You know, I think with art, we cut like six, seven tracks or mm-hmm. you know, cut three or four tracks, then you can overdub on them. It, you know, a lot of times, like back in the day, when you're recording a solo artist and using, you know, expensive session musicians, yeah. you don't have that luxury. You know, you got the guys there before anybody sings. Right. You're not going to sit there and put your heads together. Um, so that's kind of, you, you can't really do it then, you know. But um, again, I had the luxury of working with bands. So. Yes, we would cut three or four tracks and then take them up each one. Each one we'd like, okay, up, 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 and then hopefully they work. It doesn't work. We go back to the drawing board. If it doesn't really work, we leave it alone. And what's the difference between when people say demos? I know what that, I know what I know what it. I mean, that's just when people are like, they, it's the equi- The equipment is the difference, right? The demos made on equipment that isn't. Well, it's uh, like my, uh, like my dear friend Georgia says. Okay, <laughs> we don't do demos. Um, <laughs> I mean, because basically you just capture someone's performance. And yeah. And it's never, you know what I mean? Um, it, you know, who knows? Again, yeah. it's very different. Mm-hmm. When I was a guitar player, like I play guitar on the demo of Hit Me With Your Best Shot, right? When a Pat Benatar was nice. like giant hit. Um, and because back then, you know, if you wanted to do a, a demo of a song, yeah, a lot of times demos were done just for the song, you know, as, an, you know, as like, you know, let me play it for you. Here's the song. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't, you know, they didn't have GarageBand. It was like you had to hire musicians, yeah. which was a great way for musicians to get in the studio and network, right? Right. And so we did that a lot. You know, you get paid like 25 bucks each. Um, I did things with D. Murray, and we did some fun stuff. Nice. And I think we did that together. Um, and, and so, you know, you'd, you'd do a demo, and then you'd have to hire a band, mm-hmm. and you'd have to hire a singer. So, so it was different. In that context... It wasn't about anything being better than other. You know, you had to have a way to demonstrate the song, which is really and truly what a demo is. Um, fewer artists, you know, did demos of a song before they, you know, performed it. I, I guess it was more, it was more of a test to see yeah. if the song was going to work. See if it, if it was, yeah, I got it. Like, to see if it was worth pursuing. Yeah, to see if it made sense. Doesn't make sense next. Um, I it's different because it's, it's different now because it's interesting that you bring this up. You say, well, just the equipment's better or not. Yeah. It's like back then it was so interesting. Like there's only a few hand, a handful of studios now in L.A., which is the capital of recording on the planet, maybe except for Nashville. Um, and there's a handful of studios that are real studios, meaning they were designed by people with, you know, acoustic engineers. And, you know, it was, for a million reasons, um, they're correct. And so now the equipment is, you know, it's, it's – I don't think anybody records – not anybody. If you're a superstar, you go to a superstar studio because you might as well hang out somewhere. Right. Um, but basically, a lot of the stuff, you know, the equipment is all the same. You, you know what I mean? So, and they're not recording so many live things. So, you, you know, it's, it's just a different universe mm-hmm. as it was back then. In fact, I think it's funny now because, you know, again, I'm, you know, I'm very current with what, you know, people do. And it, it's interesting because basically, I'm going to go, can I go off a little bit on the music today? Yeah, or? do it. Fuck yeah, right? I'm being nice. I'm right. Not, and I'm not a hater, believe me. Right. Um, you just remember when it was more pure. Well, I just find it funny, honestly mm-hmm. speaking. I'm real, I'm real happy like, to hand over the baton to you. Good luck. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like, what you, from Mozart till, you know, till Dr. Dre, you wanted to hear music, someone had to play it. Right. And then, then there's that. Um, and now, essentially, everything you hear... Is something that was recorded 30 years ago. I mean, it was snare drum you're hearing on a hip-hop record. Right. It's either a TR-808, I don't know if it's TR, yeah, a TR-808 you know, drum machine that was used only because it was the first drum machine, not because we thought it was groovy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, all those drums are the same, all the plugins, right, whoever doesn't know what that is, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're, you know, virtual interpretations 
of stuff that's 30 and 40 and 50 years old. So, so it's interesting because none of that is new and it's old and none of it is recorded at all. I mean, there's nothing on a record you hear on the radio by any of the you know, current artists where anything was recorded. It's just a file. Period. It's just a file that someone else created, typically. Yeah. Or someone's, you know, it's, they're creative people mm-hmm. making records, but there's nothing organic about any of it. You know, you know, back in the day, even like we did Giorgio Moroder records, which were very high-tech synth records, very, very influential, mm-hmm. you know, you had to play it. You, you know, there was no sequencers. You know, Harold Faltemeyer played those mm-hmm. parts. Keith Forsey, excuse me, Keith Forsey played those drums. Yeah. Um, so now it's like, I was telling someone the other day, like when you made records... And you actually recorded them, they'd be in a good studio. Someone mm-hmm. could play and they'd play well. And the air around the instrument, you know, around the mm-hmm. amplifier or the drums <laughs> was part of it. It mattered. You know, it mattered because it created, you know, that space, you know, was part of the process. And, and now the productions now are so full because there is no space. They're just, it's, they're layering so many different parts if you listen to them because there's nothing to really feature except for the singer. You see, this is why I I still, well, not still, I've always loved them, but the Foo Fighters to me are are trying to keep it, you know, old school and, 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 you know, trying to set an example for for people coming up that this is how you do it. That's what they do. Yeah. They can play instruments. Yeah, exactly. Dave Grohl took lessons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Somehow, or he taught himself. Let me, uh, I saw a documentary on the making of Aerosmith's Pump. I love that record. And I love it too. But in that documentary, and I had never known this before, um, Steven Tyler's like singing one line at a time. Okay. Does that, I, I never knew that it, that happened sometimes. Like I always just thought they went in and the singer sang the whole song and, and well, what's, what's the norm? Yeah, my favorite thing was back in the day, mm-hmm. back in the day, right before the wheel. Um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, in the day, I mean, everybody just thinks that when you go to, when they hear a record on the radio, it's everybody went in the studio and just played it and sang at the right. same time. Just played it live. Boom, boom, here minutes, it yeah. um, and there's all kinds of ways. I mean, the, the theory I, mean, I don't know if Tyler just did one song that way. Well, I don't know if he did the whole album, like, but, but there was a section of well, it where he was singing. That's how he, just, did, the, that's how he did The Flame with Robin. Oh, okay. Line. There's two ways to do it. One is you do singing all the way through mm-hmm. and you put it together, which is a lot less painful for the yeah. singer. You know, you know what I mean? It's because like, it's not like you're thinking and you're thinking. Um, but then, yeah, a lot of people used to do that, you know, punching one line at a time. And then you can get really upset, you know, obsessed yeah. getting that one line to the point where you're no longer looking at the picture so easily, you know? Um, and the performance isn't always, the, you know, the, the production, the uh, dynamics. But, yeah, I, fuck yeah, that was probably done more often prior to the wow. comps. That's really interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, in the olden days, yeah. right, before, right after the wheel, you know, people would sing like, it's so funny to me, because it's like, everything you hear on the radio, is, nothing is played. Not, nothing. <laughs> Absolutely there's, not. There, there's, there's, there's no artist that you hear that's, that's playing? Well, I, listen, please, I don't mean, you know, the Foo Fighters. I don't right, mean, right, I, sure, I, I sure. I mean Jack White. I mean, you know, because also I don't mean the alt band, you know, the alternative, alternative sure. bands, yeah. you know, like um, Leto's, you know, like 30 Seconds to Mars. You guys are playing. Um, but that's not what I mean. I, mean, I, I know. What you, we, we know the kind of music. We yeah, know we're talking, talking about what's on the radio. Yeah. Um, and what's singing at the Grammys and mm-hmm. all, you know, who's singing at the Super Bowl, all that shit. And, and none of those people, I don't mean it shit because I love it for what it is. I grew up on pop radio. Yeah, when yeah, when yeah. I was a kid, it was a singles business. And it, re- it had nothing to do with anything other than that. And it was, yeah. But it was Motown. But it was... It, 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 Forget about that. Um, but basically, nothing you hear is for real. I mean, it's not. It's all performed, sorta, and then sequenced. And you know, you can do it in a half hour. Just, Just do push it on your fucking button. watch. Anyway, that said, where was I? Oh yeah, nothing is recorded. Everything is, you know, sort of sequenced from sounds that were recorded, you know, before these guys were born. Mm. And then the singer sings, 
and then, but the singers is there's no singers on the radio that are not you know manipulated, yeah, because of the tools we have, and, and that's okay too. But that's how they do it. So, so you know what I mean in terms of punching in and punching in. There was no tuning. There was no nothing. So you had and these to are and we're again we're talking about brand new artists. If 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 uh, every single one. If if Fleetwood Mac makes a new album, they're still doing it the old way. Well, yeah. But that's, you know, they're not dominating the charts. No. They're not dominating the no. airways. They're not being streamed as much as, no. uh, as Taylor Swift. She's the real deal. It's uh, funny. When, when um, my, uh, all the artists I love are still out there and, uh, and touring and selling out. And I, I wonder what's going to happen, you know, in 20 years from now. What, what, who's going to be the artist that... that that sustain nobody in the old days you had to be able to sing four minutes in a row which is fucking insane to me like, you know what i mean it's like okay now it's four whole minutes you, yeah you, can you do it you know and if you can play all four in a row you know you could sort of your performance can have a dynamic yeah then just doing eight bars and then flying it around we keeping you up kid yeah um, Kyle. so <laughs> so you know what i mean so now the rules are so so different now and uh yeah line at a time you know i, I remember my favorite one of my favorite stories since I'm jacked up on coffee, yeah. and I am really a hater. I, don't, I make believe I'm not. But I, <laughs> um, it, it's my favorite because what's her name? The uh, um, Katy Perry. I mean, a lot of them I don't really can't distinguish exactly who they are, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not my job. <laughs> I don't get paid to distinguish. Right. Um, but I, like her last record, I think it was her last record. Had a great opening song that was a hit, a big hit. Roar. I Roar. Think. Yeah. Um, still playing on there. I heard it on the radio today. Yeah, I mean, it was a giant hit. Yeah. And then the second single, you know, was the in my opinion, was the kind of record. It was also a giant hit, but I think it it took Roar to if Roar didn't succeed, the second one wasn't going to succeed. Gotcha. If Roar didn't exist, and this came out first, I wouldn't be so you know so I wouldn't bet all the you know all the money on it. And uh, I I love it, you know. But there's eleven songwriters. Um, it's not. A, it's almost impossible for. Five of them didn't know the other five. I mean, if they saw each other on the street, they wouldn't even know who each other. Oh, you're saying eleven songwriters on one song? The one, yeah. Um, That's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it's what it is. You know, it's like no. I mean, they don't do it at the same time. Clearly, it's like okay, here's the track that I. I mean, I borrowed. Okay, sampled. Boom. Now, write someone write the top line. You know, the melody. Boom. Someone write the lyrics. Boom. Someone write the rap. Okay. Now that's five different components, and if you take those and take two people per. There you got ten. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're splitting up that uh, publishing. Uh, you know, you don't make as much as you used to. No. Um, again, not my problem. Share's the real deal. Share's the greatest. You produce. They're all the greatest. You produce this. Now you co-produce. This is interesting to me. Save up all your tears. You co-produce that with Bob Rock. Why? Why How? do you need? Why do you need two? Pro- let's hear <laughs> like, a little. Let's hear you it. Certainly first. don't need two. <laughs> yeah, this is what I want to find out how this works. Certainly. Love that girl. But her heart must be the one thing you were born without. I've been wasting my time. I don't know where I'll sleep tonight. You say that you can do without me. Go ahead now, try and live without me. Baby, say up all your tears. You might So yeah, how does a co-production work on on on, on a track? Well, that album was done similar similarly to today's records, meaning, you know, one guy did one, you know, there was a 
a bunch of producers. Yeah, on that's not my. Those aren't my favorite albums. I hate when there's multiple producers on any album. I never like that. You know, it, different kind of world. Meaning, yeah. You know, you're not going to get someone to go to the studio and make you know two and three months with one artist. That kind of record. There's songwriter yeah. producers, whatever. That's it is. a shame. I love when I love because it doesn't. It's not cohesive to me. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, they try to make it, but it's to me, it's not. Again, you know, it, it was a, who knows why. Yeah. Um, and you know, that said, I got called and produced a couple of tracks. Yeah. And Bob Rock. You know, produced a couple of tracks, mm-hmm. more than a couple. I think he did like three or whatever he yeah. did. And then he got busy, you know, because he cut the tracks. You know, he's, you know, if you're doing one or two songs, you can do it sort of, you know, you could be making another record. Yeah. And you could have like a week and you'll cut a track and that kind of stuff. And then when it came time to finish the record and do vocals, he wasn't available. So you came in and, came and did in, that. Did so vocals, that's why it's, yeah, okay. I did the vocals for sure. You know, maybe an overdub here or there. I'm not really sure that my recollection isn't that clear, but certainly I did the vocals and oversaw the mixing. All right, great. Um, and Cher, Cher uh, seems to me like she's no BS when she comes in the studio. Consummate professional. Consummate professional. I was already doing... My, thank God my memory's good. Um, I was doing The Cult, right? A, re- a record with The Cult, and we were just doing pre-production. Ceremony. Uh, yes. The album called Ceremony. And, and so the Bob Rock songs were a surprise you know so she was great because i was doing production with them and i'd have to start a little later mm-hmm. and this is a movie star <laughs> yeah right she's i mean she's she's a superstar multi right? yeah exactly she's <laughs> iconic and she never said anything like that she showed up she was on time she was great she sang as you can tell she's i don't know if she gets the respect as a singer that she deserves uh, the, the, i love listening to music on the show through the headphones because you can really hear wow listen to Cher's voice there was no pitching back then we didn't tune anything yeah she sang um, Let's talk about uh, the cult because um, I did not know you produced this album until I was uh, looking through your discography, and I had never even heard the album, so I picked it up. And this is a great album. Thank you. And from now, from t- to believe Wikipedia, uh, Ian Asbury and Billy Duffy were not getting along that well during this period. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, and if, if it was true, I still wouldn't say it. Right. Um, and there wasn't really a band either. It was those that's, two. That's the thing. It was it was those two, and then you had Mickey Curry and Charlie Drayton. Uh, Mickey Curry on drums, and right. Charlie Drayton was on bass. Right. And, and those guys are amazing. And Drayton's really basically a drummer, not a bass player. So not that that's bad. No, no, right. no. He was, you know, we were, he was with he played with Keith Richards, expensive wine. Absolutely. They both, you know, Steve Jordan and Charlie Drayton, and I think they, they would flip. They would flip off between yeah, I mean, bass they, and drums. Yeah, they didn't. You know, he wasn't like, oh my god, I'm fine. You know, I'm falling through or flipping through whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to find a word. And, and Mickey Curry is uh, best known. Known as uh, for his years with Brian Adams and also with Hall and Oates. Yes, and yet on this Cult album, he's playing like I've never heard him play before. You know, These, here's how that record. Here's the thing about that record: the album before it. Excuse me, man. They had done Sonic Temple. It was a brilliant record, yeah. very successful. And uh, you know, they sort of formed the Cult that toured behind that record. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously Billy Duffy. It was obviously Ian Asbury. It was the bass player who was always with the band. You know, I, did, I never met him, so I don't really even know his name. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Matt Sorum. Was under, yes. Yeah, so those four people. Um, I don't know if Matt played on Sonic Temple. I, I think it was Mickey Curry, but, I, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah. And I don't so, know either. So they were touring. I think they might have even toured with Guns N' Roses, which is where I think um, they found, you know, they came across Matt. Yeah. So, you know, here they were, like, finally, like, that, that lineup, and uh, Matt joined the Guns N' Roses. And their bass player decided he didn't want to, you know, tour anymore. Do it, you know, he just didn't want to work anymore. So all of a sudden, they had gotten to that point where everything was clicking, clicking and growing. And then all of a sudden, it was like, whoops. So you know, they had that little triangle of the bass player and Ian and Billy. So it wasn't like they didn't get along, but that that sort of 
like I said, the society that was created yeah. no longer existed. And then they didn't have a drummer. So they were playing around, looking for this, looking for that. Um, and there were some disjointed parts of that record. But interestingly enough, because I'm a big fan, and you know, what came after that record was a, a pure cult, I think it's called. It's a greatest hits record. Yeah. And so some of my favorite songs on the uh, Ceremony record, you know, put them with you know, stuff from Sonic Temple. Yeah, side it, by side. Yeah, put it to free, uh, previous stuff like, you know, She Sells Sanctuary. Wow, I actually said that. Um, you know, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? And that kind of stuff. It was like, wow, that's cool. I mean, I love that record, all in all. Yeah, let's hear, uh, let's hear Wild Hearted Son. Yeah, that was a good one, I thought. What are these gentlemen like in the studio? They seem, uh, if I'm if I'm judging a book by its cover, it, it seems like these guys are uh, would be trouble. No, I sound like David Letterman. It seems like these guys would be trouble. Well, again, I, I wish I would have had the opportunity to work with those guys when they were more secure in the band. In the band, yeah. They were trying, like we had Charlie Drayton. I, I can't remember who started as the drummer, or I don't really remember all mm-hmm. of it to be honest. And you know, they, then they said, "Okay, let's bring Mickey back," because he did play on Sonic Temple. And so, you know what I mean, as opposed to, you know, rip-roaring after the album and the tour and let's go back. So, you know, it was a little different, but, not, you know, it, luckily, you know, since I, I was sort of gifted and blessed with the you know, ability to play music, mm-hmm. so I could, you know, circumvent a lot of bullshit um, by, are there, are by there grabbing some... a guitar and playing you what I think is right, you know, or think that you might want to try. I can't imagine being a record producer without knowing how to play Music an in, in some instrument, yes. You can look at the top ten. There's basically nobody there that can play. Instrument. Here we go. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny if you, if you listen to the radio. There's no guitars. I know. Why all. isn't there any guitars? Because you can't like fake those. You can't sequence those so easily. You have to actually take a lesson. Um, <laughs> anyway, where was I? Uh, so, so it wasn't. They weren't like. You know, everybody has their own. You know, strong points, mm-hmm. weak points, insecurities, issues. That really have nothing to do with music, and and again because I can speak the language, yeah, it, I always found it like a really, really, really and truly you know big time gift as a record producer, and because um, I could you yeah. know on their level, so it's almost like, you know what I mean? It's just like less. It's like I guess the, they. I, what the fuck do you know? I guess they look scary to me. That's why. Like they look like toughs. They look tough. Billy is a sweetheart. Ian's a sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, I see Billy more often than I see Ian. I haven't seen him in a little mm-hmm. while, but I saw him a couple of years ago. I went to one of their shows, and. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, these guys are cool. They, the thing is, like, these are talented human beings. And, and you know, at, at the heart of it all, we're just working together and communicating mm-hmm. on a musical level, right? Um, and, and that said, it's, it's, you circumvent and you go wipe past anything other than the music really and truly, because you're really and truly talking music, and you're talking about making music and all kinds of things relating to music. So all of a sudden, the personality, uh, 
you know, of course it infiltrates. Yeah. Not to the same extent as you think. You, yeah, you, you, have, you have such a built-in common ground already. Right. Yeah, we're all looking for the same thing, and we're all trying to get there. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's, like, on the same page. Let's hear something else from Ceremony. What, what do we got, Kyle? What else do we have? You have sweet salvation. Let's hear that. Good job, that was great. That's what I'm expecting. See, to me, one of the great things about the cult is they have that chemistry between guitar player and lead singer that a lot of great bands have. You know, Aerosmith always had it, the Stones have always had it, um, Zeppelin always had it, the Who have always had it. You know, that sort mm-hmm. of depending on who's driving, who's not driving, who's you know, there's a little bit of friction, there's a little bit of whatever, and that cult is really that. Yeah. I mean, it really is Billy Duffy and Ian Asbury. Of course, don't you know? You can't sort of underplay the importance of drummers and bass players, of course. Right. But that chemistry is, is yeah, it's really like, it's there. like Billy Idol and Steve Stevens. Exactly it's, that. it's it's you know, and when and when Billy would make albums without Steve, a couple, they're they're fine, but Different. they're not Different. they're not that. Right. I play guitar on the first Billy Idol record. Um, well, you play really? Do you think I come on show and lie? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what songs do you, what songs do you? No, play I'm in? just kidding. Um, no, I did. I played on. Uh, I played on Hot in the City was a song. It wasn't as big as that from that record. I love that song, though. And then I played guitar and bass on... This guy. What's the name this of that song? This guy plays on everything. I can't think of the name of the song. It wasn't one of the singles. You played bass, too? On one of the songs. It was just me At and... the same time? Did I play guitar and bass at the same time? Yeah, and I was juggling, if I remember, also. Uh, Love Calling, I think, is the title of that song. All right, cool. It was, I think it was predating, because that album, I don't think, started as an album. It started as an EP or something, mm-hmm. you know, meaning a smaller... Um, and they just, like, build out from... Yeah, Keith Force is a pally, one of the greatest fucking record makers that I know. Yeah, um, I, liked, uh, I like when Billy works with Keith. I love Keith. That's the best. Yeah, no doubt. Um, love Keith. He made my favorite... Uh, well, he produced The Heat Is On with Harold Faltemeyer. We were all part of the Georgia Marota world. We were part of that universe. It's like a school. Yeah, it is. You graduated from there. He came... To, the, to America with Georgia, having been a part of like the really early. Movie. Where's Keith from? He's British, uh, but he lived in in Germany. I think mm-hmm. he had a German. His wife was German, and that's where he met Georgia. Because Georgia, even though he was Italian, Munich was I think a really close city to, to where he grew up. And Harold Faltermeyer is German, and that was a lot of the beginning of that scenario. And then they came to the states, and then I got involved sort of later. I got involved. Well, actually, that's not one hundred percent true. Um, I play guitar on. What did I do? Nine and a half. What, is that nine and a half? Everything's nine and a half something. Oh, American Gigolo. Okay. I play guitar on uh, on Call Me. I don't know if the band knows. Um, and then at the end, I did a five-part Mozart clarinet concerto. So this is one of those things where where you 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 play Call Me and you think it's the people on the album cover, but there's other there's other musicians yeah, uh, I mean, filling it out. This has always been that. Um, and, we had we had a guy on a couple weeks ago. Uh, it, Denny Tedesco, he has this new uh, documentary out called The yeah, Wrecking Crew. I actually saw it. And this is, it's a pretty great film. Yeah, I thought so too. I yeah. think it's a newer edit than when I saw it. But, but I well, he's it been working on it for like 19 years. Yeah, but I think I saw it not that long, a couple of years maybe yeah. at the most. And um, 
So, so anyway, so with Giorgio, there was another thing. Oh, I know. I did a duet. I didn't do a duet, but Barbara Streisand and uh, Donna Summer did a duet um, called No More Tears, Enough is Enough. And I was cool to play on that because it was like one version went on Donna's record. So the 12, in, you know, the extended dance version right. was on Donna's record. The smaller single version was on um, on Barbara's record. And then each one of their albums had something and all of them were platinum. Now I want to know that these two divas get in a room together and they fight. Uh, I wasn't there when they sang and, and it sounds to me like they had to be there together. Some yeah. of the singing there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I worked with Streisand. I think I thought maybe we'd get some dirt from you. For yeah, a no, I wasn't. I mean, I got to know Donna, you know, she rest in peace. Another, because yeah, I played another. on more of her records down, you know, later on. But what I was saying is that that's the only stuff I did with him, like right around 1980. And then he was a little quiet for a couple of years, not too many. And then sort of Flashdance brought him back. And that's where I started becoming more or less a daily um, player for him. Yeah, just once it got to a certain point, I wouldn't leave there. I, I turned down everybody else. There was nothing that interested me. Just because you enjoyed working with him, period. I knew that there was nobody else like that. Uh, what happened to uh, this band, Taiketo? Oh, yeah. This was supposed to be like the next big deal. Oh, well. <laughs> and uh, They did well in Europe. For, mm-hmm. for many years, they had a big fa- you know, following in yeah. Europe. Um, I didn't mean to joke about them. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was a very interesting time. Things started to change. What year was that? 1991. Yep, that would be around the time. You know, grunge was taking, mm-hmm. uh, taking hold. Um, sort of the pop, rock, metal was starting to fall away. Do you like that term, like grunge? Isn't, grunge, isn't it just rock and roll? Isn't I it had just... a conversation once with you know, Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. And you know, Man in a Box, one of my favorite songs ever recorded. I don't care if it was, we can call it whatever you like. And his guitar playing on that is sick. Yeah. And, and I, I met him through another close friend, a guy named Richie Cotson. They're pretty good friends. And, you know, I was always like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a grunge guy. I'm not. He says, you know, there was rock and roll before there was grunge. Exactly, yeah. I listened to, you know, records you play, you know, you made. Yeah. It I don't know. Like we didn't cross over like a certain right. line with different names, you know. It just, you but know. I mean, I know we call, I know, I know we call, this is heavy metal, this is that. And so I guess, I guess to give that uh, a name is, but to me, it's still just. Well, it's rock and roll. Yeah. It's uh, bands. And, and there were certain, you know, it, it's always like. It was coming from the MTV satin, you know, plant pants and, yeah. and the mullets, and they took it to another place. I said, "Wait a minute!" And they just sort of took the, you know, the focus off the, yeah. off the stage. Less hairspray, less, less makeup. Less hairspray, less you know, larger than life. It went down to a much you no know, spandex, no spandex, plenty of flannel shirts, um, and it's still, it's still but rock. Those guys, I mean, if you listen to the Foo Fighters and then you listen to Alice in Change and you listen, Change, Change, <laughs> I mean, these are real bands. You, you yeah, know, they transcend any fucking genre. You know. You know? But but anyway, that that said, little by little, you know, the things that were just prior to that started to sound like they didn't fit with what was happening. Yeah. And then sadly, you know, grunge, grunge, those bands lost a lot of you know talented you know singers from drugs or death mm-hmm. on some level. Um, but then pretty much that, that went away fast, and hip hop took over. And that's where Play, we're still plain at. and simple. For, yeah. I let's, don't know if they're, let's, I don't know if it's still there. Let's hear uh let's hear this is uh the single from Taiketo's album. This is uh Don't Come Easy. No, no it's Forever Young. Oh, I'm uh, What's Don't Come Easy? Is that another album? That's the name of the album. That's the oh. name of the album. <laughs> I'm sorry guys. I was actually th- I'll tell you why I said so that in a minute. Ago. Oh Danny's a good singer. Yeah.
Kyle, have you ever heard this? You have? Yeah. Oh, great. Liar. Still, I have. That's a great track. I mean, again, it, I'm not one of those guys that say, well, it would have been a hit, but the guy quit his job. And, yeah. You know, it, it rained that day. And, um, but music was changing radically. And if you listen to that and you listen to, you know, was, was uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit out by 91? I think it might have been. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. At that point, there was nothing about them that were, and you know how music is. It, doesn't, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't change slowly. No, it was. It really. They, it, yeah, this kind of music did get steamrolled pretty quickly. It's okay because there's so lot, so many records. It's all good. Um, uh, I love. I mean, I love those. Bands. I mean, I mean, Foo Fighters is one of my favorite bands. Period. Yeah. Um, how do you get? How do you not love? Smells like Teen Spirit. I mean, how do you not love Man in a Box? It's not possible yeah. to say you like music and not love those tracks. Right. Um, but then hip hop came along and just it's like, wait a minute, you don't need guitar. Why take lessons? Um, <laughs> I guess I wonder if people that love hip hop if they hate Foo Fighters. I don't think they know it exists. Um, they just don't know where to I, find it. I don't it. know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, know that there was always a um, a rebellious side to rock and roll. As crazy as it sounds, you know, Elvis having sideburns and shaking his dick. So I can say dick, right? <laughs> um, it, that was like really wow. His you know, dick. it went from that to like, you know, fucking putting a cap in someone's ass with a nine millimeter and killing him. That got really rebellious. Yes. So, it's so, all rebellious. I mean? So that's so, what it's about. So that's, I think it appealed definitely the crowd that, that followed hip hop was a rock and roll crowd. Those mm-hmm. kids would have been listening to rock. Yeah. And that's just when they got, to, they came of age and some little white kid from Encino, you know, wanted to be Doctor Whoever. Mm-hmm. Dre, I know who he is, obviously. Um, it, you know, it, it's that's who they wanted to. You know, that's who they. They didn't emulate him because they couldn't. Yeah. I think that was part of it. They, they didn't really have. You know what I mean? They didn't. You know, you could play air guitar. I, I don't know. Aside from well, who knows? But then hip hop very quickly became very cannibalistic. They started singing about the money they made singing hip hop and. Whatever. Um, you were talking about uh, Richie Kotze. You brought up oh, Richie Kotze. Um, he lives around here. How do you like winery dogs? I love them. I, did I see them? Yeah, I saw them at uh, the Canyon Club. Is that right? Is that yeah. The place? That would be the place. Yeah, and then I think I couldn't see them again. They, they played again that I, cu- I couldn't get there. I, I, I don't remember why, but I couldn't get there. Yeah, the fucking guys are geniuses. I mean, he, and it's so funny. He was in Poison. Yeah. In Mr. Big. He's got a solo career. Uh-huh. And, uh, and now winery dogs. That's a... Power trio, basically. Yeah, it's a good band. Great. Yeah, I don't know the drummer, but the three of them. T- I mean, I know Billy Sheen because I produced Mr. Big. Yeah. Um, and I worked with Kotzen on a lot of projects over the years, and I, I've always been, you know, real close to his biggest fan. I just think he's a sensationally talented musician. Well, let's hear a little bit of uh, Richie Kotzen and Billy Sheehan. Let's hear "Shine" from Mr. Big. Oh, I co-wrote part of that. You did? Yeah. This is a great song. I didn't write that much of it, but I got credit. Another great singer.
I like that these guys and Mr. Big they all do they all do other things and they then they then they'll come back together every couple of years and do a Mr. Big album do well, a little again, tour. I, I didn't know them in the beginning. I mean, I produced a solo record with Eric, you know, before, long before Mr. Big. Oh wow, cool. Or, or, you know, on his path, I don't think he found his exact self until he was in that band. That was like, okay, here's where I always belonged. Yeah. Um, and they again were, were uh, they were always a super group. You know, yeah. and, you know, and, and they were, you know, right. Billy came from, I know he was from the Mike Varney school. No, he was also in Eat Him and Smile. Whatever. Yeah. And he was in a band called Talis before. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah of course. In fact, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was there band before that. Cause actually, oddly enough, his manager was like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> guys who really? These fucking movies up in Buffalo. I think he's from Buffalo or somewhere up North uh, New York. Um, but he was in that band with uh, Steve Vai and uh, what's his face, um, David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth. And that yeah. was a big band, you yeah. know. Um, and I think that brought him to the attention of a lot of people. But you know, he was a genius bass player. Um, yeah. I, I, again, the drummer's sensational. I don't know him, you know, because I, I wasn't all that familiar with the music of Dream Theater. You, you know, I obviously knew who they were. Yeah, we're um, back to Winery Dogs right now. Yeah. Where else did we go? Oh, uh, well, Mr. Big. I just wanted to let. Oh, no. I thought we were talking about Cotton in general. Well, we are. But since we were, when you said that, when you were talking about the drummer, I wanted to make sure that people knew it was wasn't Pat Torpy, but you were talking yeah, about Pat, the guy from Winery. Dogs. I was talking about the guy from the Winery, Dogs, right. Which is Cotton and Sheen, which I guess they were both like basically we were talking about Mr. Big being yeah they were put together somewhat of a super group absolutely in that sense you know Paul uh, what's his face I don't know him um, no I feel but yeah I don't know I just don't know him yeah I know Pat I know um, you know Eric Eric and if I did Mr. Big when Richie was in the band so yeah. I didn't know him so um, same with Poison I got to know Cece later. Um, oh, we 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 have a CC song I that you CC. produced. You this do? is a oh yeah we have uh, you produced. They had a they had a live album called Power to the People. Yeah, of course I know that. And they had five uh, five studio tracks on there. These those are the ones I produced, right? Yeah, and yeah. these songs these are Sprint Michaels is a great songwriter. These guys are fucking good. But this is, it also has uh, CC's first uh, first song that he sings. This is CC singing. I hate every bone in your body, but mine. <laughs> In one ear and out the other, told myself this girl is trouble. Yeah, everyone that looks at her is tragically done struck in love. Wait a minute, the chick's got me addicted. I hate her so, even though I wish she was my girl. I hate every bone in your body but mine. <laughs> Clever boy. <laughs> now let me ask you something because uh, you know Richie Richie Cotson and 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 these other guitar players we've talked about. How does CC rank in there? Because when I when I see Poison, he's good. See, maybe a little sloppy. Maybe a little is is. I don't know that he gets well, respect I mean, as a guitar player. Really, you know, it's it's interesting because. You know, as legend would have, you know, as legend goes, mm-hmm. you know, they are, the, Poison came out from uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, right. And then the guitar player went home. You know, he missed his yeah. girlfriend. Well, he made a mistake. Oops. Um, <laughs> and then I think they were talking to Slash and they were talking to CeCe and, and CeCe came in with the Talk Dirty to Me. And yeah. It's a song and Brett, you know, said, wait a minute, this is the thing we need right now. And, you know, so he was always integral to, mm-hmm. to the thing. It's like, Absolutely. You know. Townsend is not like the world's most prolific soloist. No. But he's a fucking genius guy. He's a Mozart at what he does. Um, CeCe's a great songwriter. I mean, he really, really is. And that record was fun, the stuff we made, because I didn't work with him before that. Yeah. I, I said that's not true. 
Um, there was a comedian named Sam Kinison who unfortunately is no longer with us. And is this the wild thing? Did we you... did wild thing. And, and I think CZ played on that. I'm I almost, think he did I'm too. almost positive. And uh, so I, I met him then. And then I, he was friends with Rick Nielsen too. So he came in the studio when I was doing Lap of Luxury. So I kind of knew him, you know, and I knew him a little bit from, from yeah. he was friends with, with uh, Kinison. And so I kind of knew him, but never in Poison. So I was really happy to do Poison when he was in it. And also play the other Poison song I have. Um, I can't see. What's it called from? The last song? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a great Brett song. You my light When the others round me You did me right When I look in your eyes Don't tell me lies you tell me the truth, your words they get me through. This is all I've got, this is all I say. If this were my last day, this is my last song, it's all I got. If I bear my soul, don't you break my heart. Won't you sing along? This is my last song. It's all I got. So don't you break my heart. You were like in a there was a there's a pop metal phase here because you you were with you did Poison you did Rat you did White Lion, Taiketo. Um, is do you like that kind of music? Is that I, well? I mean, I love Poison. You know what I mean? I just love poison is. I just do. poison is great. When I, when they tour, I, I wish they would make. I'm still a guy that likes when my old bands make new music. I wish they would make some new music. But uh, yeah, when they tour, that's a great show. I mean, oh, you know every yeah, single song, oh. every single song. I mean, they. Ha- I mean, you know those guys. Like what I love about Brett, you know, the side of Brett, you know, like every rose has a thorn. Yeah, and this, it, it's got that sort of southern. He's always mm-hmm. had that southern sound. Yeah. So we even had. Um, the keyboard player from you know from um, Sweet Home Alabama, right? Uh, Leonard Skidder play uh, piano in one of the songs. I mean, he just that sort of has a lot to do with his soul. Yeah. You know, they're from like rural Pennsylvania, so so you know what I mean. So it wasn't like Philly. That's where we're from. We're from rural Pennsylvania. Yeah. Part. We're from Altoona State College. Wow. Yeah. I must have been like right in the middle. Yeah, there's about five thousand people in our hometown. That must have been a blast as a kid. It's, um, uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, that was you, the thing about Richie Cotton. He's from Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh, they're perfect. And that's you know they you know they connected on that level as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so he has that southern thing um, as a you know as a component. And sometimes when I listen to songs like that, it reminds me of like the early Stones. You know, you know there was always a country component to the, some of the Stones, some of the honky tonk woman, but yeah, you know, sort of like you, you know what I mean, sort of that sloppy. Feeling cool, bluesy side of country music, you know that almost, yeah. you know, almost Dylan even has it to an extent. So, I, I love that aspect yeah. and and that component. Well, those five songs, the studio tracks on the the live album, Power to the People, and the live you know, element is good too. But these these songs are really yeah, that really was, great I like stuff. That, I like those guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they're artists. It's you know, the artists are artists. Yeah. You don't judge them. You help them make the best that you can. And uh, you know, you st- when you work with a band like Poison that have been successful prior, you know, to me having met them, 
there's no like there's no accident you know mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know what i mean didn't get hit by a, a you know lucky bus you know right you know there's it, it's clear you know it's clearly you know it, yeah you got to have some talent there's some luck but you got to have the talent, talent too and also the spe- you know the the special you know uniqueness of those four or five human beings in the same room mm-hmm. you know making the same noise at the same time yeah. that's not something that's that's so easy, and that's that's the great thing about bands. You know, it takes sometimes. You know, the 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 hole is greater than the parts, or the parts are greater than the hole, or whatever. And not to say you pull one out, it's not quite the same. I want to ask you about a guitarist um, who who does not, as far as I know, record anymore. It's uh, Vito Brado. Yeah, I haven't seen him since the first uh, the White Lion album we did together. What this guy was a pretty amazing guitarist. I thought he was great. Yeah, and wonder what wonder why this guy just. I wonder what he's doing. Well, just by very, by very uh, virtue of the fact that he disappeared. Who knows? He disappeared. <laughs> I know, but it's like White Lion just kind of, they kind of went up and then. Well, he was just, he made that second record that I was part of. And um, there's one song I really liked on that record. I can't remember the name of it. And it came from before the first album that mm-hmm. made them successful. They may have done one, an album prior. Oh, to, I, I think I it was, sure. is it Broken Heart? Yeah. And, and, and you know, we thought that was going to do something, you know, at yeah. the time that, to help that second record. It didn't quite, mm-hmm. for whatever reasons. And, do I have uh, Broken Heart queued up? No. Do I have Love Don't Come Easy? Yes. Let's That's the that. one. That is that. Oh no, no, Broken Heart is is what we're talking. Yeah. About. And then Love Don't Come Easy was another, an album title earlier today. Yeah, that was the Taiketo. Uh, don't Come Easy was Taiketo's oh, yeah. album. That's why I said Love Don't Come when Easy. You said Don't Come Easy. I thought it was the Ringo song <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but this is I remember hearing this on the radio for the first time and I fell in love with this song. There's some guitar coming in there. Oh, he can play. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, find the other one. Find Broken Heart. I haven't heard that in twenty years. I don't know if I have Broken Heart in there. I have Out with the Boys, right? Uh, Yes, that's a different album, isn't it? No, it's its main attraction. I'm here to refresh your memory. I don't want to hear that one. You don't want to hear? <laughs> no, I want to hear Broken Heart. I'd only be disappointed. I don't, I don't have it in there. I should have it. Are you going to look, see if we have it in there? Go to YouTube, kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Come on now. This is 2000 and something. But Wonder, uh, if, anyway. White, Wonder if White Lion's on YouTube. He went away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Mike Tramp still does stuff solo. Yeah, he yeah he went to Europe, lived, moved to Europe, back to Europe, and... Um, Another good guy. How is Tramp as a vocalist in the studio? Sometimes when I hear his voice, it sounds, um, and again, I don't sing, but it sounds like a guy really trying to sing. Is he, is he I mean, he doesn't seem, he's not a Robin Zander, but. Well, you know, that's what, rock and roll was never supposed to be that. Right. You know, and I think he's one of the examples of, of you know, someone that's just. You know, like, you know, Jagger can't do opera. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but he can tear your heart out. And He's a good-looking guy. And take all your money. The front, the front man, uh, the front so, man uh, Mike Tramp, you need, uh, you need a good-looking front man. You got broken heart there? Yep. Let me hear this. All right, let's do it. Left me. I don't know. 
I mean, it's singing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James Lomenzo on the bass there. I, I like this one. Love Love Comedy, I think. I forgot about that. That's good. Yeah. You did, uh, then you did the, uh, you did the self-titled Rat album, which was, uh... That was much later. That was 99, right? Yeah. Was it 99 for Rat? Um, yes. Give or take. Yes. So that was kind of like a comeback album for them. Well, it was interesting at that time because Columbia Records decided that they wanted to you know, have a specific either label or... A, yeah, I think it was a label. It was called Portrait. There you go. And but John- they actually, actually, Portrait was... Re- they actually took the name Portrait, the logo, and re- you know, reactivated yes. whatever the word Yes, re- reactivated it. Good answer. And they had... Uh, John Kalodner was behind yes. this. And they, they did a... They did a I think a, a Dawkin, and they did a, a Great White album. And they did a rat album. Right, and that's when I did that record. Yes. And it, was on, it wasn't Robin Crosby, who I think is dead now. Yes. He wasn't involved. No, it was, uh, it was Robbie Crane, uh-huh. Warren Demartini. Right, who I love. Uh, Bobby guys. Blotzer. Right. And then uh, and, um, Stephen Piercy. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, uh, Warren Crusier went back. I think he's... Mm-hmm. I think they're still touring together. I saw Warren at a car wash a couple of months ago. <laughs> Another great guitarist. Oh, fantastic. I think underrated. I, you never hear too much about... You never, that name doesn't pop up all the, the time. At the time, he was pretty well respected. Right. I, I think they both were. I think Robin Crosby yeah. had the same, you know... But this has some great songs on it. Um, what do I got there, Kyle? Tell me, because I can't see my computer. All the set. way, it ain't easy. You, I think you... It don't come easy, come easy. It don't, it's just I, think you, I think you have a songwriting credit on it, It Ain't Easy. Which song? It ain't easy. Play it. You have to play it. Play it. Maybe. Sometimes I'd get involved. Yeah, this is good too. Cause I don't wanna see. Show me now what you've been thinking. Tell me what you know. Again, this is another one of those things, Richie, where I had never, I knew, I knew rat songs. I knew all their hits. I had never purchased a rat album. I pick this thing up. I see Richie Zito's name on the back. Boom. I buy it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, Pierce and I hung out a lot together because mm-hmm. we did all the, we did all the pre-production, not demos, just pre-production yeah. in his garage in Studio City. Um, and probably uh, still lives there. I don't know. They knocked down his house and they built this mansion. I don't know if he's just, either he sold it or he built it. Um, that's how my mind works. Yeah. We did all the work there, and then him and I hung out a lot. Because, you know, sometimes the guitar players would go home, John right. Blotzer would go home, and then, you know, work on vocals with him and stuff. Were him and Blotzer getting along? Because I hear that. Yeah, no, there was no fights with anybody. Yeah, because for a while, sometimes those two are fighting. Uh, again, it predates me. Bands. Um, you don't want to say. No, no, they weren't fighting when I was there, <laughs> I would say. Um, no, no. We had, again, I, I always had good relationships with the artists I worked with. What, um... That's enough. I can't think of any more music right now. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, this. I, I, is this the most recent thing you did? The Richie Zito project uh, called Avalon. Yeah, but you don't have to play that. I don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear it. You don't even want to hear Nightmare. 
with Eddie singing? No, I don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear it? No, you don't, you weren't very, happy with it? This was an unusual time. This record was very unusual. I got to call some of my favorite people. They mm-hmm. said yes to me. Jolyn Turner came and sang. It was, you know, fucking amazing singer. Eddie came to the party. I did one of Giorgio songs. It's like an album where you have, like, different vocalists on all the songs. Right, but, uh, you know, there's... I'm very... Dis- whatever, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. Um, all right, we won't play it. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> We're not going to play it. <laughs> you know, so uh, imagine that. Um yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that record. So, well, how's that sound? Uh, uh, well, wait, now, now you put your heart and soul into something, and then you didn't like the end result. Is that what happened? Uh, yeah, uh, it was. I always wanted to make a solo record. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not even true. Um, but I had an opportunity to make a solo record. And solo to me, obviously, you get different singers. Right. You, you know, I'm smart enough to know that. You know. But but then you know it was like there was too many compromises. But, you know, there's just too many compromises. Mm. Well, that's sad. Yeah, I mean, I didn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so? What's next? What do, what do we do? What's what's Richie Zito doing now? Uh, you know, I keep waiting at the at the Ivy, hoping I see Kanye and uh, Kim Kardashian. Do you get do you do do you get requests to to produce anymore? I mean, not so much. I, I mean, you, you know, it's interesting because I worked on American Idol for a couple of years. Um, what did you do on American Idol? I was the singer behind everybody. No, no, no. I was um, like a they, musical they, director type. No, thing? no, nothing like that. Actually, what I did is I produced the vocals for the record versions. Of well, that's the songs. that's pretty great. Yeah, I did half. I did half of one season and then half of the next, like mm-hmm. the second half of one. You know, the years that Jimmy Iovine was involved. Okay. Um, you know, it's 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 so difficult for me to you know to look at. I don't want to say this. It's just so difficult for me. Who's going to call me? Like, what the fuck am I going to give you know to? What if John Wade? What if John Wade called you up? Say, hey, I'm going to do a rock album. I'd like you to be me behind the boards. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I just it's like, you know, it's like I was so fucking lucky to grow up when I did, and the people that I was able to be around don't exist except for those people who I was around. Mm-hmm. And, and the opportunity, like I was thinking about this the other day, you know, to, with all due respect, you know, to go to someone's, oh, I always hate saying this kind of shit. Um, <laughs> but I got to work in the best studios with, you know, the best budgets, mm-hmm. um, you know, carte blanche, you know, everything mattered, the sound mattered, the performance mattered. Yeah. That doesn't really exist anymore. So, so, you know, I don't want to work in a garage and make a wreck with a band in eight weeks or eight days or five minutes. Um, that's just not how I roll right. personally. I, I, you know what I mean? It's, you know, also a lot of the bands that are playing instruments and, you know, the guys that, you know, make music, um, it, it's different, you know, it's, it's way more K-Rock than a lot of the stuff I, I've used, yeah. I'm used to having done, you, you know, but that's, I just don't know what I can bring to the table to something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just don't know what I can bring to the table. You know, I'd like to sit here and say, wow, man, my next, uh, I want to do a second follow-up to fucking Avalon. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, it's just this, not the same for me. Do you think you would ever do a try another solo album? No, God, no. Um, <laughs> but, you know, listen, under the right circumstances, I'll do, you know, if someone, if, if I have an opportunity to work with someone really, really mm-hmm. talented, I would love nothing better. Um, I mean, really and truly, because it's yeah. an opportunity to collaborate with other talented people. Um, but I, I just don't, I mean, it's just, I don't see a lot of that these days. I mean, I don't want to work with Kanye. I don't want to work with any of those people. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not a hip-hop fan. I, you know, the pop records, 
you know, guys like Max Martin, they are doing that so freaking well. And you don't need 10 of them. You only need him. Yeah, you know, he's the guy. Between him and Dr. Luke, it's like, it, who, there's no need to, I mean, they're on the radio. It's all you hear is them, you know. Are there any artists that um, that you were close to working with and then like, then it just, for some reason, it didn't happen? A couple times, but, you know, only because, uh, it, you know, scheduling or, mm. you know, it would be a couple times it would be scheduled. Although I drove myself crazy. I didn't say no. It's hard for me to say no when someone offered me something. Well, once you have that, once you have that success, you don't know when it's going to go away. So you want to keep riding that uh, that wave. I guess. Yeah, that's the that's the thing about creatives. We we really think it's we got there by accident. Um, But but the thing is that I you know at a certain point I just didn't want to say no to things that were so freaking talented. Mm -hmm. It's like when the phone rings, would you like to do this? It's like, well, yes, Uh, you know, of course. So um, yeah, a couple times, you know, you know, a couple times. But so what? You know, you know what I mean? I got to do the ones that I got to do. Who is um? How many how many gold and platinum albums do you have? My wall looks good at home. It looks pretty pretty yeah, it looks, sweet. It looks pretty good. Yeah, being a bachelor, it's, it's it's a good thing to. Would you? Yeah, you come in, you go. Oh, that's just that's just some stuff. Don't don't oh, don't look over there. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather have all those gold and platinum albums or a Grammy? Um, more of the, I'd rather have the gold and platinum records. I think I would too. I mean, the Grammys are cute and all. Um, a friend of mine, I can diss them too. Um, the Grammys, yeah, only because it's it's it's, but it's not the Grammys, and so it isn't it isn't really the Grammys because that's not really a thing, you know what I mean? It's not a tangible item. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, it's when Beyonce is is nominated for Album of the Year, and she had a lip sync at the inaugural. What the fuck? <laughs> I hate lip syncing. I mean, whatever. You know what I mean? I am not down with you, the lip syncing. You got to figure, like at the inaugural of, of whichever president, you're going to get like a Pavarotti or you know those somebody that can really you know take your head off. So you know, you know, n- no, I, I, I'm very happy with what I was able to do. Was I a little pissed off at the time? Yeah, but so what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who cares? <laughs> I wanna, I wanna tell the listeners that um, that Richie has signed. One, two, three, four, five, seven albums, seven CDs that he's produced, and we're going to give those out. So uh, follow your Twitter feed on Friday. I'm going to throw out a, a trivia question, and uh, first seven people to answer this trivia question correctly are going to win one of these uh, one of these signed CDs. Um, Richie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing all your stories and sharing, letting me uh, ask you questions or, or and then being wrong about the information. Um, That's not true. <laughs> I'm just writer. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just. Uh, I, I really. I appreciate all that you did. Uh, you've done. I still listen to the records that you produced. Like 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 a mental patient. I listened to Busted on the way down. I I, I listened. I, I listened to Brigade last week. I mean, it's it's insane. It still sounds great. Still takes me back to that place. I love the big, the big sound, the big production, the great vocals. The drums, the guitar, I love everything that you that you did. I love. Well, you know, just to end with something that we started with mm-hmm. is like I always wanted to be sort of, I wanted to be part of history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I didn't want to sign the Declaration of Independence, right? But but you know what I mean. I wanted a song that didn't go away because I grew up as a kid. You know, you go to the beach and you'd hear like everybody had. You know, I'd go back a ways, and, and it was all top forty back then. You know, oh my god, it's a singles business. It was always a singles business, and. You know, I'd go to the beach. Everybody's radio was AM radio, and they'd all be tuned to the same station, playing right. the same song. I wanted that. I wanted to be part of that. 
Well, you are. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. So you succeeded. Thank you. I guess I did, right? Um, so you know what I mean. So that's uh, you know, yeah. I'm 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 part of that. You know, I have my footprint there, and uh, staying there. So thanks. Where can the listeners? Uh, you got a website? These people can go I, to. I do. I have a SoundCloud, but you know, it's it's yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Go Are you, you not into the social media? That oh fuck yeah! I was on Facebook in two thousand eight. I got five thousand friends. I can't have any more. Uh, well, I was, you know, I tend to try to be, you mm-hmm. know, I don't have to try to anything. I mean, I love what's up. Yeah, I, I pay. You want to stay current? You pay? You used to pay? Attention. I just like to. I don't do it because you're I on Twitter. It. What's your Twitter handle? I don't do it as much as I do. Uh, I got. Fr- I went from Facebook and then Twitter. I never really understood, and then I understood it. Yeah, I think Twitter's cool if you're somebody success famous. And you want us to, you know, we want well, to know what the it, hell you're doing. Give us your Twitter handle, and then the listeners can tweet at you, and they can go, "Hey, we love Joe on the show." I think it's Z to the O. Z to the O. I think so. All right. Um, um, I got more into I got more into Instagram than Twitter, but now I don't. Yeah, I'm bored. <laughs> uh, well, I want to get into Meerkat. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. What's great, folks? Uh, the, the best guests are the ones that have a contact button on their website. Because whenever I have to deal with publicists and management and everything, it takes forever. But when I can email someone directly, they tell me yes or they tell me no, and I move on. And I thank you so much for telling me yes. Thanks for asking. And uh, follow us at Rock Solid Show on Twitter. I'm at Pat underscore Francis. Kyle is at Kyle Dotson Funny. Like us on Facebook. Uh, do you have a fan page on Facebook, or you just I do, do actually like Richie's fan page? And I'm going to play us out tonight with something from the second Eddie Money album you did. Uh, this is a big hit single. Kyle, play us out with a little bit of uh, "Walk on Water." I play guitar on this. I'm proud of the guitar part. There you go, Richie Zito. So good. So you said, just one more chance is all you get. Didn't mean to do you wrong again. Worst things have been done by better men. Baby, baby, don't, don't treat me this way. I know you've got to pay now. I'm still playing. But if I could walk on water, and if I could find some Don't tell the score, the sign.